I think the drug laws in general are pretty interesting, especially the history, not just in America, but like all over the place. Yeah, it's cool. Like right now we're in kind of this new era where some of it's starting to change. Um, I think this year MDMA is yeah. going to be removed and that's going to make its way into clinical use. I So I'm torn about it. Torn, torn in the sense that um, it's obviously useful. Um it obviously has some kind of harm associated with it, with like overuse or abuse. Like most things that are effective have some kind of like tipping point where they become bad uh, or at least like have some kind of negative outcomes. Uh, what I what I would hate to see happen, and this is kind of is like plants and substances in general that like have been used for thousands of years uh, that have you know, more efficacy behind them than kind of any study drug on the planet, just because of its prolific use over 10,000 years or whatever to decriminalize it is one thing to regulate it is another thing. And then you get into like the nitty gritty about, Oh, so now there's profit margins and now there's a different kind of control and a different kind of context. And, um, our, our habit, and I think in the U S is to like, profit off of every angle of something and this is like one of the bad incentives with medicine in general is that it's a profit margin driven so the incentive is how much money we can make off of something not how effective the use is and so you get something like mdma is a good example of that uh you can't the reason why it's probably going through faster than other drugs like mushrooms or you know or psilocybin or something like that is because you can patent it right Right, and that the patent allows control, and the control allows um, commerce, and the commerce allows an industry, and that industry then has licenses and certifications, which allow, like, you know, the kind of the blessing, the fairy godmother goes, like, you can tell this person to use this, you can tell this person. That all sounds like it helps people, but in reality, any kind of any kind of like federal regulation has a very serious downside, especially especially among the poor, right? Like if you take out of the drug uh, conversation, you just go to like, um, I don't know, any kind of occupational licensure, like uh, hairdressing was the one that I first noticed was like, man, this is fucked up. You're like, I need 2000 hours of school to learn how to cut somebody's hair. Like that's not dangerous. I'm sorry. Like even if you add in all the chemicals, um, and it's just a control money thing. And you see it now with that. Now the hair schools like it because, Man, it's federally regulated that you spend twenty grand on your education. So now you have this booming industry, but it's not required. I could show somebody how to cut hair in like a week, right? Would they be good? No, but their reputation and their like ability to get better would make them successful. They could figure it out, and with enough good outcomes, they would have a good reputation to take care of itself. Instead, they go into debt in order to try to make a living, and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That doesn't help poorer populations figure it out. It only affects like the worst of society. Yeah. Well, think- you mean they can't get their loans paid off by... <laughs> Someone, <laughs> Bernie, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I like how we started this out bitching. Hey guys, Mike. welcome to the nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a, <clears throat> and I've seen it in in <clears throat> kind of our side, like specifically to psychedelics and those going kind of mainstream, mm-hmm. right? My concern with that is take a look at we'll we'll talk about coffee, right? Mm-hmm. If you go to a really good coffee shop where they they source their beans, they roast their beans, like, and it's a process for them, it's a journey, it's something that's really special to these, those people. Mm-hmm. And you're describing, and that's the only thing you've ever drank, and you're describing coffee to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh man, this coffee thing, it's gonna be great, I could really use this in my life. And then they go to 7-Eleven and they buy a cup of coffee, and then they're like, what the fuck is this, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. That's how I see psychedelics, yeah. is a lot of us who've gone and, and had a long journey to get to them mm-hmm. and then a very difficult time in their use, mm-hmm. like a lot of work. And you then tell someone, Hey, this changed my life. This saved my life. Like a lot of therapeutic work. Right. Yeah. Post stress. Yeah. Post life, whatever. Yeah. And then there's someone else who could really use this in their life. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the Seven Eleven version of this thing because it's now mainstream. It's yeah. now being pumped into our every day. And it's like, now they're like, well, fuck, and this the, didn't help me. The question is, is it even coffee at 7-Eleven? Like, is it, right. the, is it the actual substance? And this is what, you know, our culture, the Western culture has a really bad time doing is like reducing things down to their um, effective chemical uh, compound and then like identifying that as the substance. But as you, as anybody knows who has like gone into the, weeds with psychedelics or plant medicine or whatever you want to call it you you recognize fairly quickly that it isn't just about the chemical compound that you're putting into your body there is something to the journey of it and that mm-hmm. i think you're right when it becomes easy access i think uh, carl Jung probably put it the best where i think when they were uh, discussing uh somebody asked him about um who did who wrote the doors of person uh huxley so uh, huxley was obviously like in the paint when it came to like <laughs> mescaline and somebody asked Carl Jung cause they were friends about, uh, Huxley's, um, psychedelic use. And although I, I would probably, um, I would assume that after Jung went to Taos, he had very deep, uh, I don't know if you've read a Carl Jung stuff. I, I think after that he he's had like really deep psychedelic experience, but Carl Jung's, reply to Huxley using them is like, beware of unearned wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you're like, oh yeah. You had like this moment of wisdom and then the lights went out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. I was, <laughs> I was talking about that thing this morning on, I don't know, every once in a while I'll go through Instagram and I'll just get fucking angsty about <laughs> a, a pattern, right? Yeah. And the pattern I'm seeing lately is, is a lot, there's a lot of people that are peddling tactics Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. They're 100% anecdotal. It's like, oh, I've been studying this guy and this guy and this mm-hmm. guy who actually did it and, like, built those tactics, you know, lessons learned in blood type thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take those, and now I'm going to come up with my own, and I'm going to come off as this, like, oh, I've been, like, really looking into it and really studying it and blah, blah, blah. But it's <laughs> like... Okay, but you still don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, or or you know what you're talking about, but it's not backed up with like the knowing that comes from. Like I could read, I would say I could read Mark's books on alpinism, you know, and that would give me uh, probably all the insight that I need to get started. Right. But then I would have to start to know what I'm actually talking about. And I think you're right. Most people read something and then they talk about it. This is like 
our experience in coaching, our experience in training, our experience in jujitsu, like anything that you, uh, our experience in psychedelics, it's like, uh, you really like, man, people have a lot of opinions about all of these things that who have never done them. Yeah. At least at, at, a, at an effective level. Yeah. It makes you wonder if this is just something new that's come about with the onset of social media or has the oh. human race always kind of been disposed to kind of not being willing to go in and get their hands dirty with the actual mm. experience and just kind of talk from the bleachers or is, is it just the way we are? I we're, we are efficiency <laughs> machines, efficiency yes. seeking machines. <laughs> and if there's some way that we can, you know, have access to the knowledge or the appearance of that access or the appearance of it. Um, but without having to do it, then we're then we're going to do it. And it's always been that. I, I think that's a human nature thing that is, hasn't changed. It's not new. I think the broadcast mechanisms right now and the mm-hmm. willingness for people to be led down the garden path by others, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, just like, I'm going to listen to this person because their new album is awesome. Right. You know, <laughs> or, or look at all this fancy shit. That guy does the thing that the guy did in the movie that I, you know, or whatever fictitious, like, and that willingness to just abdic completely abdicate personal responsibility mm-hmm. is, I think, I think that is becoming more common because of the lack of consequences. So if you talk about like, yeah, there's some charlatan peddling these tactics, you know, that, you know, I read this, I did, you know, this, I added my own thing where, you know, I, I, when I, you know, turn down range, I, I turn, I don't turn on the gun. I turn on the opposite, you know, the, the weak side or whatever, you know, whatever mm-hmm. silly thing uh, that, that might be, they, they might be adding to it. Sometimes I, you know, charlatans have been around for a long time. I've been in, you know, <clears throat> had some interactions with some in my professional life. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just think now people are, you know, they're more willing to just, you know, g- give in to it, that and not take responsibility. It does seem like that, doesn't it? And it goes back to like when you're 18. You, most of us, I think we want to, we want to like have independence from our parents Mm -hmm. and we're like really endowed to go pursue this experiential life path. And then we we're kind of at this point where it seems like more people are willing to like, Oh, Hey, social media personality, just like, tell me how to live my life. Mm -hmm. And it goes against everything that I've like strived for my whole entire life is to like get away from the teat and like pursue actually finding out what life is to me. That's a, I, I, I was fascinated because we had like a question about I don't, we needed like we needed some kind of way to know if this is the way things have already been. We all took a good look at the gray haired person for an answer. Yeah. Right? which which is like which is this is this is no joke like it is funny because i laughed about it. i was like oh yeah mark you you know some shit but also like this is the only reason old people elders are not dead like through evolutionary means right mm-hmm. they after they can't produce children they have something to offer culturally which is wisdom which is like time tested methods that that should tell you something that no matter how much you read no matter how much you need time and experience to actually like 
be able to give true like well-earned advice yeah that that's hard to sorry no offense oh uh, elder mark none taken (laughs) i mean don't call me papa t for no reason (laughs) um i i feel like there is this has come up you know it's like dipped my toe back into the climbing community a little bit recently and it's and uh, I was out a couple of weeks ago with a guy who has been part of the, like he was new to the scene right when I was kind of quitting. Mm. Um, and uh, we went out and shared a really nice day. And I'm like, and he's telling me about some of the issues in the local climbing community there in Montana. I'm like, oh, so it hasn't fucking changed. Yeah. <laughs> like there's still, you know, the transgression of ethics. There's still the look at me thing. There's still the you know, trying to take ownership of a particular aspect of something, whether you had anything to do with it or not. When you have one of the elders, you know, who is behaving in a particular way, then that guy gives permission to everybody else to do the thing. So if that guy's pulling out the drill, then everybody else gets to do it. And I'm like, I guess I'll just quit again because y'all haven't figured shit. Like I left because it was fucked. Yeah. Not exactly. But, um, and you, and there's still only a couple of bright beacons of hope and the rest are just, you know, fall in line, suck the teeth pieces of shit. Yeah. I, and I would say it works because I mean, it, it, especially it's like what you just described is like, you mean you can't get human nature out of the human, out of the human. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it kind of came, it was kind of a surprise. Yeah. And then also not at all. Yeah. Like, oh, this is this was happening. Some people thought about it, got pretty vocal about it, behaved in a way that showed a different way, and then the easier path was still just as seductive, you know, to to a, a certain you know group of people or a certain amount or a certain percentage of the participants, um, as has always been and i look back on it and i feel kind of you know defeated in a way of or like man we we tried our best and we were ineffective we couldn't change human nature fucking bummer yeah maybe it's just on like a, a different like evolutionary time scale like the species evolves but the nature of it is a little bit it's not a little bit. It's like way behind. Like we're like, I don't know, 20,000 years behind our actual like species evolution. I would say it, it, in, inherent to like, man, we still have the same By evolution. Drives. You mean small changes over time? Yeah. <laughs> uh, small, I mean, we, small mutations that, over time. Small mutation. Say. Nice. Because I was just going for the band word. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Ch- changes is like, I don't know. I think ever since like Obama kind of you know marketed it, it's like thought of as a positive word. But wait, was it him or Shepard Ferry that did Sh- that? Shepard Ferry? But <laughs> okay. I mean, for the campaign or whatever. Is that yeah. is that globally? We're twenty thousand years behind, or Americans? Did you say twenty thousand or twenty? Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking at it from and this is like forget the number, but we're we're like our gut microbiome has not caught up with the <laughs> agricultural. Oh fuck. Right. Like it hasn't caught up with the revolution, let alone industrial revolution, let alone. So I I go back to like based off of how we like heal most things in our practice, mainly through, you know, what what do we do? Like we try to get good baseline. Right. And we still can't. 
<clears throat> we still inhale spit sometimes. Still confused about the like order. How many of my years behind? Am I going to get that figured out at some point with all this wisdom? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue, okay. please. Well, I like when I look at like the baseline for my, people come to us for any host of and a. I guess I should say we're not doctors and we don't practice medicine, but it, essentially people come to us to help solve problems. Like we're we're. I don't know, sought after problem solvers is kind of how I look at it now. It's why it's not a fitness problem or just like fitness exclusive. It tends to be with everything, whether it's like, you know, autoimmune disorders or psychological disorders, personality disorders. It's like a whole host of issues that can be treated through an allopathic medical uh, uh, path. But instead, we kind of we look at it like baseline stuff like. All right, like, what's your life like? Like, where's your stress? Where's your food coming from? Where's your, you know, your sleep habits? Where's your relationships? What kind of environment are you in all day? Out of all of those things, the things that are most effective at resetting a human being, you kind of go back to how we were 10 to 20,000 years ago, nomadic lifestyle. So start. it doesn't mean you have to like replicate it. I'm not saying you have to push your Range Rover out of the garage to replicate removing a cave bear. Uh, he was or, pulling it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, drag a lion out of a cave. <laughs> yeah. So you don't, you don't have to do that. But you do have to look at like, what are the features? Well, I'd wake up to the sun mm -hmm. and I would go to bed when the sun goes away even if I had fire like I don't know if you've tried to like stay up around fire you're so fucking sleepy mm -hmm. it's just not the light content is something very specific so we look at it like and now the data backs it up not that we needed that but you're like look if you if you're you know a certain type of human uh, facing kind of normal human shit you should be in this kind of pattern with the light Right, circadian rhythm is what it ends up being. So we check that first. No one does it perfect, so it's not like you can get it right. But lots of people are doing shift work and fucking crazy shit, and then they feel like terrible. And you're like, well, you know, what's more important? You know, is your nurse job the most important thing, or is like feeling good and having some kind of aspect of longevity? Then we start checking food. Where does your food come from? You're like, well, I get everything from Seven Eleven. You're like, okay, right, like that. Delicious. Deli yeah, that <laughs> fucking seven day year old hot dog <laughs> dipped in seed oil or Roller whatever. Treats. Yeah, it's yeah. just like this. D dipped this in seed oil that has the appearance of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. So for uh, we have a friend who just gave birth and they're they're not. Uh, I think there's four. I can't remember the name for it, but there's you get the colostrum out of the breast milk and then you get like the rear milk or something is what they call it. The fat content is usually in the rear milk. And the like high amino acid profile from breast milk comes from the forward. And so sometimes that gets thrown off or mothers quit producing so much milk so they have to like put them on formula. So they came in today because they had recommended their, and by the way, like everything's fine, but their baby stopped gaining weight for four days. And like, mm -hmm. oh, we got to put formula in there. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Well, like show me the formula they want to send it. The first fucking ingredient is corn syrup solids. Nice. The second ingredient, canola oil. What? The and I'm like, this is a fucking doctor that's telling you that this is the way to make your baby healthy. Are these people out of their fucking minds? And I would hate to get ramped up about it, but this is the normal practice. And me saying anything different from that, that's actually, especially in this kind of like medical environment world that we're in, I'm suddenly, you know, breaking laws. Yeah. Like by saying like, don't do that. Don't not give that to your child. That's like pure poison. Only based on the fact that our evolutionary 
biology has not caught up with our industrial revolution lifestyle. And I like maybe you mean we're making shit up that because we think we know better. <laughs> yeah. I, Again. Yeah. So I, I just like, is there other options? Like, can you get donor breast milk? Is there, you know, there's a, I look at it from the perspective, not that I'm trying to replicate cavemen, but I am trying to look at it. Like when our biology evolved to be the way it was, what were we doing that gave us probably the biggest benefit that was probably, and there's lots of advancements that have led to longer lives. I do not think that means better lives, mm-hmm. right? It does not mean like you can live till 80. That does not mean the quality of life went up. Right. It just means your your heart is beating longer. Yep. And so I think when you look at it through that scope, you, you can solve most problems based off of looking at like when the, you know, when human nature kind of like separated from our actually species evolution and our human nature is to kind of go after all the things that were important there. And that's like, I think that's the integrative medicine approach, like in a nutshell, as opposed to the ancestral approach, which is a little bit kind of like, hokey it's like you know if you wear this loincloth or whatever um you'll feel healed but in essence i think that's like how we approach most things and there's good success i think there's also like creative ways of look i was talking to somebody i don't remember if it was logan or who but about how there are some people who are just better workers at different times of the day oh for sure yeah like there are the weird artists that oh man i i do all my best writing from midnight (laughs) to two in the morning it's like well, if you were in a little caveman tribe, there was a guy who had to stay up and fucking make sure that no lions came. 100%. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So There is a shift worker. Right. We, yeah, we exactly. don't know how we started this fire <laughs> yeah. yeah, a couple of years ago, yeah. but it has never been out. Yeah. So keep this fire going because yeah. we don't know if we can start one again. Yeah. And the, <laughs> weird, the weird guy that draws pictures on the cave wall, he likes to stay up and do the night shift. I just yeah. imagine with like a kind of like a comb over, like an emo thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your emo cave guy. And he wears the ladies' slippers. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's, a, there's definitely like a use for the redheaded left-handers. Yeah. Right. They're like referred to. I mean, I can't remember what it is in baseball statistics, but like the most successful pitchers are redheaded and left handed. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. And that goes back. So the the left hand of Lucifer This is what this comes back to is like there was always somebody in the tribe that was like willing to do a little bit more sinister things that kept the tribe safe. Yeah. I would refer to that as like, you know. Uh, Paleolithic Team Six or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always some some guys that were like, "Well, I'll get dirty. I don't give a fuck." Like their moral compass is just like skewed enough that it like protects life. And Someone has to crawl into the rib cage of the mastodon to get the heart out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, he's redheaded. <laughs> yeah, left-handed apparently. <laughs> yeah, that that would so be me. I'm like, get me in them ribs. Let's go. I want to see how big this thing is and how long I need to chew on it to rip it out. <laughs> Gnawing on a mastodon yeah. rib. Yeah, but it does seem like we're in this phase where we're. It seems like we're kind of devolving because mm-hmm. of where industrialization and technology is like we just have like all these conveniences that we assumed like we had a part for but the amount of people that actually had something to do with it are so minimal and we lose touch with the animalistic side of ourselves with with the beast side of ourselves and do you think it's getting too easy everything like that 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 when we talk about convenience it's ease and uh and because 
you know, I don't have to carry the buckets to the river to get the water and bring it back or something. You know, I don't learn any lessons along the way by walking through the woods with this, you know, water or something. It is, but it's also counter to that in that there are some people in life that no matter how hard they want to work, wherever it is that they're in life, like the conveniences make it impossible for them to like do more. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, uh, just yeah. just because you know, let's say for you're a you're a deliver you're you're a like a Grubhub delivery guy in New York City. Yeah, like what are you going to do to work hard to make your station in life better? What are you going to do to work hard to make your family's life better? Like you're doing it. You're working eighteen hours a day, grinding at this one thing, but it doesn't really affect much. Whereas if you're you know you're back thousands of years ago and you're the hardest worker ever you're working your ass off to make your family's life better you're you're hunting more game you're gathering more stuff you're 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 making your position better um so i think that is a big mental health blocker for people is like man i am working hard i'm working my ass off it feels like life is not easy for me and and staying in the same place right is essentially what yeah yeah. i would say if i could identify like a mate and i wouldn't say i would say this this has been a problem for the while uh, for a while is that your work um, what better way to put it is is taking part with an intermediary, right? The king's land. Like, there's a certain point in society where you really do look at it like, man, you. my mom works like crazy her whole life, two to three jobs, no matter, full time. Like, everything has like, been like head down and she makes good money, but she's not a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? And there's people that work hard and they're billionaires and there's people that work hard and they're poor as fuck. Mm-hmm. And you're like, a the incentives are bad, but also, we're like intelligent work is not the same as just hard work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one feature that I think most people figure out if they want to like, what am I going to put my effort towards so that I get the biggest return on investment? And then there is the cronyism that comes into it. Is like, how can I take advantage of these people? Um, and that's intelligence. Like I'm I'm taking advantage of these people working hard. Um, I guess the best way to put, uh, like the best way to frame that so most people understand, like Warren Buffett, all time probably best investor of, of like our modern, you know, history, whatever. Um, most successful investor, I should say. Uh, average 14% return. What he made most of his money on is investing in low income housing. And there's a big reason for that. A, it's very intelligent. You'll always need low income housing. People don't always get richer, people will always be poor. Right, you'll always have something coming up. People will always be taking risks, losing it, losing their homes, losing their families, making bad decisions. Whatever ends up being destitute, people are gonna need low-income housing. So he looked at it like a mathematical equation. It's a guarantee that this resource is necessary. Then he also looked at it like banks look at people and they go, poor people have no options, right? So you go to a trailer park you buy your trailer and you rent the land. That makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not on wheels. Trailers are not like, they're in the ground, <laughs> yeah. right? But what happens when you default it on it is you don't have any money to take your house with you. So they confiscate your house and you're leasing the land. So you miss your lease payment and they'll just take your house and then they sell it to the next person. It is a way of legal pirating in mm-hmm. some sense. And so this is how the low-income housing uh, like investment strategy actually works. It's a guaranteed return. Like, it's 
close to 15% a quarter for most of it. I've looked into it to be, and it's like, I should do it. I have a real fucking problem with it because I know I'm only winning at the expense of somebody who's bad. Just like Chase Bank, they'll charge you $15 a month for no reason if you just don't have $1,000 in your account. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, like, that's my money in your account and you're charging me because I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. Right, but but that guarantee allows them to fractionate bonds and do all this weird fucking money play. And meanwhile, because if I have less than a thousand dollars in my account, I'm probably a poor person. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a choice to put a thousand dollars in there. That's the real reason. And then I have to pay more money. Like it should be, it should go without like any kind of thinking whatsoever. That if you have a million dollars in the bank, you should have to pay the most. Because you're protecting a million dollars, and that's mm-hmm. wildly more expensive than protecting my seven hundred dollars, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. it's easy to protect seven hundred dollars. Yeah. It's hard to protect a million dollars. You need like security guards and shit for seven hundred dollars. You just need a, you know, a guy with a stick. It's like, don't touch my money, and the guy stays mattress. away. Yeah. <laughs> you need a mattress, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So it's like the system first is getting in the way of what I think you're talking about, which is a certain amount of work is equal to a certain amount of success, and I think that. Now that algorithm gets thrown through all sorts of things and Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense anymore. And Mm -hmm. so people, A, get really frustrated. Maybe they climb to the top of a clock tower. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just suck it up and hate their life. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's bad outcomes. But part of the Grubhub thing, you got me on it. I'm like, (laughs) Grubhub in New York City. I'm like, you can't drive anywhere. Yeah. So there's actually no way. You can work as the hardest you yeah. want and you're still sitting in fucking traffic yeah. <laughs> like there's there's no way if you're paid on a per delivery basis mm-hmm. to you know deliver more because mm-hmm. of the the circumstances of you know yeah maybe you're a grubhub dude on a as a bike messenger mm-hmm. you you not only get fit but you make bank and you can I brought that up. Maybe if somebody's listening, I want to do a documentary about Grubhub drivers in New York. Like, I think they're fascinating. Like, all the shit that they probably see and, like, where they go at night. It's it's the next Taxi Cab Confessions. (laughs) Yeah. Because it it does fascinate me, like, knowing, like, I used to live in New York and I would order DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever and see, like, okay, I I just tipped this dude five bucks. Mm -hmm. It took him, like, 35 minutes to get here, you know? And, like, anyway, it's a rabbit hole, but it's, like, it's fascinating to me, like, those types of jobs in the world like uber drivers mm-hmm. and all these people that are like they're working 12 15 hours a day and they are in a but they aren't an interesting thing too about the the when i was looking at the the regulation of that where they're saying anything more than 600 dollars now you have to report it or yep. something like that to, <laughs> yeah. the, to the irs you're and there one of the reasons that you go into that work is to take some control is to like to to be at least somewhat autonomous. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a part-time gig. Maybe mm-hmm. it's what you do at night. Um, but there is this, uh, I think there is a, a sense of personal agency that can come from, you know, deciding my own hours, deciding whether I want to break the speed limit to get this food to this person and maybe mm-hmm. get a bigger tip because I got there faster or whatever. And then the government goes, well, <laughs> yeah, we don't really want you to be independent. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. like it a lot better when um you well, let's just say uh there's a the tip of our boot on mm-hmm. your neck. Yeah. Uh, for um, sure. And I would say that that's probably one of the biggest incentives to see like the social strata that we do today is like debt is probably one of the best whips. 
right? It's the best way to pe- mm. keep people in line. It's the mm-hmm. biggest lever. And it's the easiest thing to accumulate, which is why, like, why would you talk an 18 year old out of $250,000 of debt to go to school? Like, man, education's the way of the future. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it means you're going to work nonstop until the day you die to pay this thing off yeah. because then we know you'll pay your bills, you'll show up, you'll raise your family. And nomads are kind of like, man, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we're like, it, it's a byproduct of us, just like the banking thing, like mm-hmm. these institutions that we're kind of born into, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we were born like, oh, you have to like, you have money, you have to put it in the bank, right? Like, and then these institutions figure out a way to take advantage of you. Uber is no different. I was, <clears throat> I was on a Uber ride and it was like almost a hundred bucks. And I was just curious at the time. I was just like, this is a lot of money for a car ride. Like how much are you making out of this Uber driver? And they're like, $30 and like 30, you're getting 30% of yeah. this thing. Like where is the rest of that money going into? So these things can morph and change and we're not yeah. even super aware of it because we're already bought into the system. Like, Oh, I can't even exist outside of it. Yeah. So I guess I'm just screwed having to participate in this thing that is institutionalized. I mean, and try to, you know, take yourself outside of it in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's not easy once once the claws are in or you know once you you know you are invested in the the system I'm like okay how do I not participate in this mm-hmm. is there a way for me to get from here to there without having this app on my phone that also mm-hmm. then just spams the fuck out of me and yeah. and and you know all of the third party tracking and all of these things that go, that go along with th- that you know, like okay how do i get out? how do i not use the computer for this how do i it's getting to be impossible i think a, yeah like, i think so you can't even go to a restaurant now without needing a smartphone to look at their menu yeah. to yeah. pay your bill mm-hmm. and like yeah oh our menu cash, it's on the like, it's the qr code <laughs> yeah wow. i had this thing the other day i mean it, um at the at the mouth of Mill Creek Canyon, you got you you got to pay a fee to go up and you know recreate, mm-hmm. and uh, it says no you know you pay on pay as you exit, no cash accepted. Yeah, and I was like, I am gonna fuck with these people because they can't legally do they that. can't le- legally they can't not take it. Yeah, and uh, as long as I have correct change, you know, let's just say it's the three dollars or it's five dollars or whatever, what it'd be. And then we were leaving the canyon so early in the morning, no one was at work. Mark yeah. was like, "Shit, Shit I don't get to like, fuck with them. I, can, <laughs> I don't get to make some futile, futile act of defiance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, in order to, to do this, you, but you're you're absolutely right. If you can't look at the QR code, you know, they probably have some greasy." menu from yeah. before in the back maybe who yeah. knows yeah and i think it's it propels this system where in order to be successful and you know make your work i'm working really hard make that actually work for you you have to become more and more intrinsic yes. within this system you know take the stock market for example like robin hood has seen this plethora of every everyday traders right but they're really just shrouded behind these giant firms that actually do all the trading and are taking yeah. exorbitant amount of fees as a part of this and we're like okay say day trading like i i want to take that to the next level one you got to be more 
in tune to the system and then you got to get the software that gives yeah. you the data but you have to be trading so much in order to do that and it's like oh so they just get you yeah. they just get you, you in some more kind of and occupational more. licensing yeah. too yeah i it, it's kind of interesting from that from that standpoint looking at like uh, look at it and like well <clears throat> and i had this argument so i made some political comment i don't know why i would think that that was a good idea on instagram to make political commentary <laughs> But I said something about, you know, our overlords and probably the lack of responsibility or some, or lack of trust in humanity. Like, that's a big part of it. And somebody from Australia, a friend of mine, was like, why don't you get involved in politics? Seems like you, like, really care about this. I'm like, it's exactly why I don't get involved in yeah. politics. I'm like, well, what do you mean? If you're never going to change the system unless you, like, get in it. And I was like, uh, do you not realize, like... You're never going to change it anyway. Yeah. No, no, it's like, because in the political, like... Let, it let's, changes you if you get in it. For, yeah. It has it to. It appears. has yeah. to. you like, there's literally no way to navigate the political space without becoming a pun of, like, all of the things that make it up. Like, as soon as it... Like, I don't know, you start at the local level. I'm like, I'm city council or HOA, whatever... I mean, kill yourself, but yeah. also, <laughs> yeah. if that's where you're, you're heading, like you, you work up the ladder and eventually like you need more and more money. Do you think you could run for president being like, I don't know, somebody who makes uh, minimum wage? Fuck <laughs> no. Right? Like yeah. everyone laughs. So you're like, okay, so already you're separating yourself from the average American, right? Like I don't, I don't think you could, let's say take your income. What's the average income is like $70,000 or something a year. Isn't that high? I think it's like 55. Yeah, uh, I was 55, say, I don't it? think it's anywhere near 70. Yeah. What yeah. was the 70 number? Probably the middle class. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's middle class. Okay, yeah. so we'll take the average, the average income of American. Uh, 55 sounds better, but it's yeah. probably somewhere in there. Um, could you run for president on 55 grand a year? Like, if you had a billionaire that wanted you to be the president. Yeah. Except, and <laughs> yeah. this is, okay, so maybe you do have a job that is like that and then somebody steps in and now you know where the real leverage is. Now you know where the influence is because that billionaire has certain interests and then now now I'm caught in the game of lobbying and corporate interest and mm -hmm. special interest and super PACs and gerrymandering and all the whole shit. And you're like, oh, no wonder I'm like just fucking sucking at the tit of whatever person wants power. Yeah. You're like, you'll never change it. And so my, my comment about like, if I really wanted to change the world, I would become a billionaire and then I would buy my way to that. That's the, that you, and now you look at how they do it. That's how they do it. You know, there's a reason why Bezos doesn't pay federal income tax. There's mm -hmm. a reason why, you know, every billionaire is trying to escape the planet and go live on Mars yeah. or, or whatever. It's fucking depressing, but it's also kind of like, man, what do you do about it? Are you like, you try to exit the system, you can't really. You kind of have to like exist within it and then figure out something meaningful to do and not get so frustrated that you want to end yourself or others early. And that really right. is like, that's modern living 101. That should be taught in college first day. Well, life sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to like, it's going to be frustrating. It's not going to make any sense, even though you're following the data. Um, and, and try not to kill people because yeah. it's harmful. Or whatever. Or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, you can kill the right people at the right time. A plus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what do you guys do for a living? <laughs> we never I, you know, we have yet to introduce. I know, it's perfect. It took 40 minutes to get yeah. Yeah. Jericho, Logan. 
welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. That was a kind of a nice little yeah, long nice intro. intro. A, a long bitch session that you're just left like, oh, who are these guys? Fucked. <laughs> welcome to We're nonprofit. You just kind of like take the sales out. Like, fuck, I just, life really is miserable. And I don't know. Yeah. So, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, uh, it's interesting because I've been, I don't know, Jericho does these things where he like, bullet points his thoughts on social media the same thing you did yeah and uh you said um you felt very prone to violence lately lately um and it's sometimes it's kind of hard not to feel that way you know where you just want to like escalate things without having uh a silly conversation that they're not going to try and resonate with anyway um (laughs) but (laughs) i think it's for for our demographic and I, I say our demographic is like people who have done uh high adrenaline activities or high stress activities um if if you don't like have something that that is filling that void of the kind of the thing i was talking about earlier as far as that like animalistic relationship that you have to yourself um it, it's going to be extremely frustrating for you to try and navigate and walk through the world as it currently sits right now because it is a system built on top of a system built on top of a system in which all of our you know we're 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 animals like we're so close to that if you don't if you don't ignore all of that and buy into it you're left with just an extreme amount of frustration and wanting to break shit right? yeah and also if we're efficiency machines there's a lot of times where i'm like man if i just go to violence right now this is fucking solved. It's efficient yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah does do you um we talk about a lack of outlet. Um, is it because you have habituated through prior decisions to um, maybe having a job that, or participating in a particular organization that, um, or you chased a particular activity that caused? I mean, that was your access point that that that, that got you addicted to these experiences or. Um, and then when you no longer have them and let's just say, you know, yeah, I climbed at a really high level for a long time and then I stopped and then, um, I don't know, circled the drain for 20 fucking years trying to, you know, (laughs) trying to sort of replace that. Or if, and and if you've are prior service and you have been in situations that, um, that require, you know, a hundred percent presence and a good deal of competence, um, and confidence and trust uh, and then you stop doing that particular job. Is that like if if no one ever got there, right? If no one ever um, had those experiences, would they feel the same void or or th- lack of? I think I my my opinion is those activities and that like being competent, being confident, all those things were just to lead me to a place where I felt safe, right? Okay, that being that I belong to my tribe, I belong to my platoon or my company or whatever. So me being that person that's always the one man or me being that person that always goes to the sound of the guns or me being that, that solidified my place in that world. Yeah. And that kept me safe. So by doing those high risk things, even at a, like a little bit of a higher level of just being in that environment, but also being that like, animal mm-hmm. that just always did it super extreme that was my way of feeling safe and yeah. and i think that like what he just said like that's the way that we've been living for 
thousands upon thousands of years. And now when you're not doing those things and you come back into society and you're like, you feel this void within your life and it, you can't help but like stop and ask yourself, like, what does that mean? Is that because of our society has gone this kind of like wrong direction? How, how do we adjust this? I like, I had these super powerful experiences like, and, and, though, and that separated me from society. Therefore, I, when I come back to it, I have trouble, you know, square peg, round hole type. Yes, yes. Issues. These super powerful experiences. But what if these super powerful experiences are just like uh, 500,000 years ago? Like that was everyday that was life, yeah. right? Yes. And, and now we're in this place where you're like, this super powerful experience seems outside of the norm for everybody else, but it's actually like, Oh, we're just kind of doing what we would have been doing all, all that time ago. And it makes you, it just it makes you stop and think about, okay, well, if that's truth and I still need to try and find happiness and peace with, within my day to day, how do you find that balance within what you're doing? And I think it goes back to so much uh, of finding a, small tribe that you coexist with where you understand your pros and your cons and your benefits and your deficiencies in finding those other people who are also super aware of you and how to work with you like that is so beneficial to me like as long as i'm in that small type environment which is exactly the way it is within the military like it doesn't matter what's going on in the system because you're getting so much fulfillment between your p2p relationships that you have hopefully on a daily basis do you, th- do you think they know that to some degree and exploit like uh, th- they kind of exploit that factor of military service, knowing that it has this long history like this? Hu- it's like it's a required human profession right throughout throughout all time. Yeah. Um, and it has also been industrialized. And so I think there's like this. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's just a part. Uh, of what's going on but I think people generally know like man I'm a young male searching for purpose and uh, the easiest way to kind of find that is to put you in a group of other young males searching purpose and have somebody lead them into some defining moments in their life and it's like largely positive right largely positive on the backs of sometimes very negative uh, operations right like that's where it's hard to weigh and this is where it gets really frustrating because we're so binary that we're like are you pro-military and i'm like no are you anti-vet and you're like not even a little bit it's actually the opposite i'm like totally for the vets like i want i love all of the aspects of this profession and i respect it wholly and that's why i don't want to go to war because i actually love the vets right (laughs) yeah right and in my experience in the military i joined before the the war started so when i I think that helped me get to that point where I was like, I'm doing these things to feel safe because my first four years in the army, there was, there was none of that. So there were other ways to feel that way, right? It was run the fastest, lift the most, carry the most weight, those things. Uh, Right. And going back to what I said that it's, it's it's establishing place within the hierarchy, right? It's within the group, maintaining your relevance, becoming a very important part of this machine. Right. So I think a lot of like, you know, people like us that get out and then we're trying new things. It's, it's just figuring out that place to where we consciously or subconsciously can feel like we're important to whatever the environment we're in, we're in it is right. That's yeah. why, you know, you have, you have one guy who is 
you know, killed more people than cancer when he's in the military. Now he like grows flowers and he's fucking happy as a clam. It's mm-hmm. because he has found something that again, subconsciously maybe mm-hmm. makes him feel like he is super important and relevant. In or he has circle. value, right? He, he provides value too, right? And then you have other guys who maybe they weren't a super high top performer in the military and now they're doing something that's really impressive in their sphere and they're fucking super unhappy. It's because they just don't have that gut feeling that like, okay, I'm secure with my group. Yeah. And you think, I think I believe that it is intrinsic and especially for males. I'm sure it's true for females on a a lower level, but to seek brotherhood, to seek this like tribal community that you're going to do something. But when you think about where we currently sit, what type of quote unquote institutions do we have that facilitate that type of thing outside of going into the military, going to a college, right? When, when you think about what the actual benefit of like sorting and developing a tribe, going to a collegiate school, mm-hmm. like it, what are you going to, you're going to go to football games and you're all going to cheer together. Like what, what are we actually getting out of that within our human experience that is actually going to benefit us in our society? But again, we're we're going back to this place where this is just the way it is, and we're not we're existing in this space where we're not even completely sure why it came about. And to go back to your roots and back to your humanity is to go against the norm now. Yeah, yeah, which is is it's it's really hard to deal with um, because there's it doesn't seem like there's paths that have um, I don't know known outcomes really like you could go to the military and there's phenomenal outcomes from that there's also terrible outcomes and not i don't mean like death i mean like the psychological mismatch of people that you know probably Mm -hmm. shouldn't be in that were convinced or somehow you know in there and the same thing is through uh, is true of school right like it's weird to be against like i feel pretty confident that i think our current formal education system is total garbage oh, fuck. right like it's Horrible. just like it's like the worst thing that kind of has uh, existed in the last hundred years even though there's obviously benefits that have come from it but the negative implication of it is like well you're watching society shift now quite a bit because of its over importance and it's like i don't know I, I, maybe i just got lucky and didn't get thrown into the whole thing or at least it was guided not to like partake in it um and maybe i was unlucky in other things that i got talked out of in which case you're like well how did like how what in a society that is really frustrating uh you know shout out to phil for labeling that it's it's frustrating because it's built by generator not (laughs) self-themed generators Yeah. yeah but also like it is frustrating um, even if you do everything right, even if even if you like you know take the best advice and you educate yourself and you try to do, you try to be a good good person, whatever the fuck that means, you're mm-hmm. just trying real hard. Man, shit is still fucking hard to deal with, and mm-hmm. it, like we we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks because like just like pets dying all over the place, going to the hospital, getting hurt, people getting sick, like it's like an unending cycle, and I think a lot of it is happening at the expense of the structure of our society, which is kind of what I'm interested in your guys' viewpoint because you had such, I would say, positive like veteran experiences or military experiences now that you are veterans. Um, like, What does make the difference in something like that? Because I think it's so wide-ranging. I think the perception from uh, like a 
civilian is looking at the military like, oh, when you go to the military, you come back with post-traumatic stress. Or like, no matter what happens, it's so traumatic or it's so bad that you come back and you are like mentally ill. And now society can't trust you unless you're a janitor or a Starbucks or something. Something like low-key. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to freak out and shoot everybody. <laughs> right? Like, what what is the what is happening on that scale about like the difference between your experience? You come back and you're like productive members of society fucking pushing, you know, not only physical limits, but like you're, you know, you're pushing like life limits of like what you can experience my me personally i think i have a, a theory with mental health and vets and all that i think there are people that go and get have a traumatizing experience and they get ptsd whatever i think most of the people who are very high level performers within specifically the special operations community are people that entered the service with a pre some what's it called pre-existing mental health issues. Mm. Um, not saying that like, you know, they all got beat up by their dad or whatever, mm. but there was some sort of a, a trauma in their life or, or a vacancy in their life, in their family that made them go that route. Mm. And I can look at myself specifically and say, I was looking for something I didn't have and I found it there. Mm. And that's what made me stay in the that fucking life was hard. Like, we like to romanticize it and be like yeah. nostalgic, but fuck it, it sucked, right? Like a lot of days fucking sucked. And to, to think about, to peel the onion back, think about like what made me stay there? What made me do this? And it was like I was, I, was on a, I was a searcher. I was searching for this thing that made me, again, feel fucking safe, feel stable. And whatever it was from my childhood that I didn't get that, whatever that place fed me made me feel like I had it. So... For me, it's again, it's being a searcher and figuring out how to, you know, we had a little stupid saying, it was like, always leave your, you know, always improve your fighting position, always leave it better than you found it. So my life is my fighting position now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if I get out, I got out, um, more specifically, like when I left the unit that I was in, when I left that, I was fucking miserable. And I'm like, what the fuck? I need to make my fighting position better. So it's, it's searching for those things, those those challenges, right? Like-minded people that also want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. Like-minded people that also want to be challenged and think outside the box and are always looking for ways to make their position better. Um, so I guess it's a long-winded way of saying I'm just always trying to be better and be surrounded by people that want to be better um, when you really boil it down. But I was lucky and kind of some switch in my head flipped mm. at some point where I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Um, so that for me is what, if you look at me from the outside in and you say, Oh, he's doing pretty well. It's working and it's always searching to like improve. Yeah. yeah. It's not actually homeostatic, right? Like I think a lot of people view health as like you get to a, a mental health or physical health, you get to a destination and everything's fine. Yeah. And in reality, it's a chaotic web of juggling like your ambitions, your devastations, your traumas, your you know hopes and desires. All every single day is just like mitigating the amount of damage and trying to improve yourself where you can, yeah. which is like 
man, it's a lot of fucking work when you put it that way. Yeah. And if you told somebody this is what it's like to be healthy, you're yeah. like, it's actually a constant worry on the day about whether I'm fucking up or not, or if I'm not doing enough or I'm, it's, it's like a constant questioning. Yeah. You know, I, like every day, I think we talk about all the times like I come in and I'm like, I'm so fucking lazy. Even though we get here at eight and don't leave till eight. And when I get home, I finish the work that I couldn't do here. Yeah. You're like, it's just like, constant work but i feel lazy like i'm not doing enough to improve my position at all times even though i know i'm doing enough because it's working but also i think if i didn't have that in the back of my head you're not doing enough then i wouldn't mm -hmm. so it's like i almost need this insecurity in order to feel secure which yeah. is fucking pathetic yeah. i don't know if it's pathetic well, <laughs> you know it, it's like it is one of those grand conundrums mm -hmm. right and you know i I developed this documentary um, after I got out of the military and some people have like commented years later on this thing, like, Oh, I joined the military as, as a result of seeing this. And I'm like, oh, wow, shit. that's a, that's a pretty big weight. You know, that's, that wasn't something that I like, saw. On the, right? <laughs> and, and so I've had to wrestle with this question. Like, is that a good thing? And do I still think that people should go join the military? And after wrestling with this over the course of years, I always come back that the answer is yes. And I think that is because it's such a high stakes profession when you come in, not, not even going into combat, but I think humans always respond the best and they really grow the most when they're on the, they're in an environment that has an extreme amount of pressure and the military is just that and working in a small unit whether that be a team or a platoon or, or whatever, um, you know, maybe the, your life's not on the line, but you have all these other humans that are reliant on mm -hmm. you to do yeah. your specific job. And it's even if you don't succeed in that thing, like you're risking your personal growth, you're risking your reputation within the said Institute, all of these different things that are going to force you mm -hmm. to put more pressure on yourself so that when you do get out, that's ex it's I feel like that's exactly where we should be sitting as as humans is like, am I doing enough? Like constantly asking ourselves that question and putting that pressure on ourselves. My pressure is a that I put on myself is a direct yeah. result of all that stuff that I experienced in the military, because it's like if I'm not pushing myself mentally, physically, emotionally on a regular basis, I'm a fucking piece of shit, man. Mm -hmm. I got to like fix myself. Sadly, the narrative for that is actually kind of the opposite in our modern take on like mental health. It's like, love yourself. You are enough. You're exactly where you need to be. And you go get comfortable. Saying it, is. Yes. Hold, it truly hold on is a second. What I know about the healthiest mental people in the world is they, struggle every day to understand their worth they eventually know it like deep inside themselves that they are a valuable human asset to like any team right like you I, I don't care what profession probably any of us do in here no matter what environment you inject us into i think we're gonna probably figure out a way to be valuable to that environment mm -hmm. right whether it's like cooking cupcakes on a fucking reality show or being you know part of a team that needs to you know solve a problem for medical breakthroughs like no matter what you do you're like okay what can i do how can i help what do i what can i learn that makes my position better which i think in a weird way brings us back down uh, back around to the uh psychedelic conversation that we we're talking about the i don't think most people recognize the context in which plant medicine has traditionally been used mm. right and th this is like 
this is why I refuse to get involved into the modern application of it through this medical system or even support it or even say anything positive about it, even though there's obviously positive outcomes that could come from it. The traditional aspect is tribal. Dunbar's number is like true in almost every regard. You have a tribe of probably not more than 150 people, maybe in a culture of 1,000 or 2,000, but in a tribe of 150-ish people. Where you Which would, is what they say is like our perfect yeah. human unit. Right? Yeah, yeah. The Dunbar, that's the Dunbar yeah. number, right? So like, um, and that's where we like, you can remember names and faces and mm, you all yeah. have kind of a relationship to each other of some degree. Yeah. That person gets the water. This person, you know, they, everybody has a job. Right. And so when you look at the indigenous use of these things or even like prehistory or pre-civilization use of, you know, shamanistic traditions using uh, Amanita or whatever substance you want doesn't really even have to be a substance it could just be medicine which in that day could be plants it could be sound it could be music it could be chanting it could be love like it could be just an aspect that they get they offer to one of their tribe members in order to get them better um and when you look at it you go they they do not deal with psychological issues necessarily in the jungle they don't have you know there's not a large occurrence of schizophrenia. There's not a large occurrence of depression. And a lot of that has to do with the the structure of their society, which is like everybody has a purpose and everybody is is like, for the most part, brought in as an age. Like the coming of age tradition is so that you were a boy, now you're a man, which is to say you were taking and now you give. Like mm-hmm. there's a point where you have the ability to give back to the tribe. You only took for the most part. We got you to a point where you're stable. Now that you're capable, you give back and that becomes your mission. So you're like very well needed, very well understood. And then when you become ill, it's usually a physical illness of some sort. And the medicine man, shaman, whatever you want to describe them, would recognize something needed to be done and maybe they host a ceremony maybe they get together and do a dance maybe they get maybe they have a procession of some sorts very rarely would they down massive amounts of hallucinogenic substances and have a party but and i think traditionally the medicine man would ingest the 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 potent whatever poison slash medicine that they would take and they would have a vision and they would come to understand how that person needs to heal. That's traditionally how it's done. Some tribes, everybody, in, in the Greek tradition, everybody partakes in the Eleusian mystery. So you get this like bigger culture start to kind of observe and then it always falls apart. The reason I think that's important is because when we look at it now on how to heal people that are, feel uh, separated from the group, separated from society, different, misunderstood. They don't feel valuable. You take any of these aspects and they go, oh, ayahuasca is good for you. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking? Yeah, go down to the jungle and sit with these people that you, you do not understand and they actually don't like you very much. You know, they look at you like, fuck you, give us your money. Like mm-hmm. it's psychedelic tourism. Yeah. And then they put you through a hard experience because I'm sorry, but... If somebody came to me to, I don't know, get better at, say, fitness, 
and I didn't know them and didn't really have a sh- give a shit about their outcome, I'm going to entertain myself at it's least. It's a different kind of party at <laughs> that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally different party, in which case... Is that what you did to Logan yesterday? Yeah, kind of, right? So, I, I understood that he, volun- he, he volunteered for that. Hey, people okay. volunteer to go down to the jungle. That's okay. Point. Yeah. Point taken. Yeah, and, I, you know, we did that. We did that too, and we both... We both came out of Peru and we were like, good for a while, man. <laughs> good, good forever. Good for a long, long time. Um, but, but again. But useful. Oh, yeah. super useful. Super yeah. useful. And that's the way it should be is because you yeah. don't feel like you need to come back because you got so much usefulness out of that That makes it a powerful tool, right? Mm-hmm. One really that you're don't. not reliant on. Yeah. And I still, like for the most part, um, live a good chunk of my life based off of the lessons that yeah. I learned down there. And it again coming back to like the awareness of self within the whole right like i remember jericho's like telling about some of these stories uh in the visions he would see and like the impact of like seeing these like you know nordic gods and like the messaging and then some of the like I was like, oh, that's so awesome. I wish I was getting those types of visuals because I've got a Care Bear following me around <laughs> showing me giant peanut butter jelly sandwiches in space. Um, but it's, again, uh, a that, that is a Nordic god. It's the uh, yeah. it's the one I can't pick the name of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, shit, what was I getting on there? Oh, um, the, the implementation of us taking these moments and understanding the the awareness of what you can get out of something that's done for the right reasons as opposed to like oh this is trendy so i want to go do this and and it's all the new rage like we always used to do walkabouts right like it's it's been a tribal thing going back to you know as long as we have like written record and stuff and now we kind of got to compact that into a short space sometimes yeah, or you're gonna fit it in vacation time yeah exactly <laughs> or like you just don't even do it and it's like man we're so bought into this thing that we hardly ever take a step back yeah. and like all right i'm just gonna figure myself out right now and like take a take a moment to like what what am I gonna find? How am I gonna find true purpose within my own life? But I only have two days, so yeah, is there exactly. a is there a hack for this? Yeah, can I get yeah. it. Yeah, is there in, an app that I can do that? You can will just, just follow like a bunch of uh, travel influencers on Instagram. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> well, my rent is due, and I got to drive Uber or Grubhub, so I got to get back into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but you don't even notice like stop and be like man this is fucked everything that I'm like participating in is fucked I need to get the fuck out of here mm-hmm. because you're just so like conditioned towards like oh this is just my life now like it doesn't have to be no and that's where I think like how maybe I stumbled on a lot of these concepts first started with exercise and especially training for you know some fucking random endurance event was like well I got to prepare for it so I'll like. I'll go out in the day for four hours on a bike. And then somewhere in the three hour mark, I start having visions and my brain starts like thinking clearly for once. And I start solving problems because I've got some time away in nature to kind of reflect through and through hardship, right? It's not like I'm just fucking driving Miss Daisy on my pedal bike. I'm like going for it, burning something internally until all of that stuff is gone and have nothing left to you know put into the effort and that's when the clarity comes and then what i was like yeah yeah i'm racing that's the point you know i want to do good physical i want to like be a good athlete but realistically what's happening is i'm like figuring myself out through training like i'm Mm -hmm. 
I'm having these like deep dialogues and I, you never talk. Well, he talked about it a little bit, but obviously like when you're going through it, you would sound like a fucking crazy person. Mm-hmm. Like if I come back from a bike ride and they're like, what happened? You're like, well, I astral projected because I was going so fucking hard and I could see myself from a hundred feet up frothing at the mouth over the stem of my bicycle. And I was having a religious experience. It was an okay ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead I come back, I'm like, I put out this kind of power for this kind of time and people are like impressive. I'm like, yeah. That's really not it. Yeah. For for me that um God, we were having that conversation about uh the last twenty percent. Mm-hmm. The last twenty percent is always the hardest and you know for when when I think about these things that we do, oh, you know, man, I thought it was the last five. <laughs> God damn it! That's what, what I've been you, going for us, wrong. It's the last five. It's whatever number you want it to be. Mark. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but for me personally, um, I find such great intrinsic value when I do these things where the veil between life and death, it seems to be very thin Mm -hmm. and you feel a connection towards things that, that you've lost and it gives you this appreciation and it doesn't need to be something extreme. Like, you know, we, we jumped in honor of, are you sure about that though, that it doesn't need to be extreme. And I'm talking about as as an individual. No, no, not exactly. Because it always comes through when you're, attempting to do these things that are and i say extreme i'm saying not everybody needs to go jump out of planes on all seven continents but like participating in in what i did last night working out for six hours straight i got home and i like was almost in tears because like i all i did was just think about all the people that have died that are like important to me and it's not something that i expect to have something come out of that but like those feelings that that byproduct of doing something difficult like that's more valuable to me than like any of this bullshit sitting around in a bar chugging back beers like that doesn't do anything for me Mm -hmm. finishing something difficult that's where i get that life value so i think the and and this is where i think we've done a a kind of a disservice to people is that you know what you you just juxtapose the you know i chuck myself out of a perfectly good airplane and people see that as extreme and that's going to be that's the gateway to you know self knowledge um but you just it, yeah it was 6 hours and it was difficult it might be a 1 hour for somebody uh and it wouldn't seem extreme but you're putting yourself under extreme pressure um in order to break down prejudice or preconceived ideas or um to gain access to these emotions, to the feeling of all of that loss, there, um, I, I think we, we we have glorified the mechanism by which we can experience these things, mm-hmm. and by doing so, put it out of reach for people mm-hmm. um, in in a way. So when I ask about it, like extreme, because I sometimes I ask my I ask myself like, why did it? Why did I personally require these experience, you know, substantial experiences in order to have access when my friend over here can meditate on a fucking pebble and get to the same, you know, like the the same place or, or, you know, when I started shooting competitively after quitting climbing and it gave me a simple thing like access to knowledge in a really short amount of time, the, the things that were common between those two experiences is the self applied pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's also much like plant medicines do. Mm -hmm. 
they are a catalyst to break down whatever our resistance was to learning these lessons. Yes. Right? Like, I don't know how many jumps I have, skydives, but there were a couple of the ones that we did on this trip where I had, like, psychedelic-type experiences, and it was like, why is this happening on this jump? Oh, well, it's because you haven't slept in fucking five days, and you are now doing this crazy thing with these awesome visuals, and, like, look, I'm like, I'm under canopy, like, in tears, like, thinking about things that, like, I didn't... My subconscious forced me not to bring them up before but now i've i've had all these things just rip down all those blockers you can't help but bring them up and now i'm like oh this is fucking great like it's feeling these feelings is so fucking great i feel like it's almost like physically like you have to take the world's biggest piss and you finally get to go and take a piss and it's like oh this kind of hurts a little bit but fucking hey what a relief this is so great yeah I, I think so much of it comes back to our individual relationship with fear and like asking ourselves like what what is fear what 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 do I fear because we we all do um, and there's I saw this fucking so dumb but Atomic Blonde the movie yeah. was released around they're in it's a bar time. it's so good <laughs> they're, they're in a bar in Berlin and there's this bright bright uh neon sign on the back of the bar and it says everything you seek is on the other side of fear and i'm like that's like one of the most simplest wonderful statements i've ever heard and i got out of a fucking movie but it's it's a hundred percent true in these these senses of like for me personally every time i go past that point where your body's like don't do this it's wrong you're going to suffer you may not make it through it like pushing past that like on that other side, that's where like life truly exists. Like the benefit of like truly loving life. And I, like I have a handful of these moments where I'm like, I'm in it and I'm like that stress starts to bubble and you're like, it it grows in like every part of you wants to flee, but you just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just going to stay in it. And then you find this sense of calm Mm. that you've never felt before. And you're like, wait, the worst thing that could have possibly happened and it's happening right in this moment. And I'm the most calm, clear and collected I've ever been. How do I pursue this stuff all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can, I can say like, I remember getting shot at and I was watching the bullets impact around my legs and I was like, why am I so calm right now? Like, this is wonderful. This is and I was like sharp and cool. And then I went alligator hunting and I was I shot an alligator and I was in the water with it and I was searching for it underwater. And I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. But after I've like reached that precipice, I was like in this calm and clarity, serene state that was exactly like that other thing. And then I think the jump that Jericho's talking about, we, we went through a layer of clouds that was a good 30 seconds of being in nothing but fog in a cloud essentially. And, I, and I'm cruising through this and I'm like, I should be so terrified, but I love it. Why do I love this? Why am I getting more out of this when I should be terrified out of everything else that we're doing? So uh, the interesting thing about you know, the, the search, like the seeking to pierce the veil, to come to a place where you feel like, life's magnet like existence's magnitude right it's usually i think in extreme cases because man that's the like sledgehammer to the veil 
right? It's just like you have no choice but to accept it. And what traditions that like might be meditative traditions, Eastern philosophy would always say that it's like the the quality of attention is what gets you there, right? Like how much attention you can pay to the mundane will also lift the veil. And that that is a lot harder when you don't know what that means, right? Like you're a 20 year old kid and you're like, mm -hmm. no, just sit there and like, you know, just pierce the veil, man. Yeah. Let your thoughts just come and then let them go. Like, don't let your mind get in the way. And that's generally what I think is happening in extreme situations is the mind eventually understands that if it gets in the way, it'll actually do harm to the system. Mm -hmm. Right. So in, in fear based, um, in fear-based situations where uh, overthinking can get you in trouble, finally the mind sets back and just lets the body do what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. And so you have this cl pure clarity without the interaction of the mind interrupting it. And that pure experience is awareness without thought. And so you're like, that is a pure conscious experience. That mm -hmm. That's what most we call them ascended masters we're talking about when they talk about nirvana or enlightenment they're talking about a pure conscious awareness that's exactly what it feels like and that would describe what being an infinite soul is without the constraints of uh, a material body would be this pure conscious awareness where you're just aware of yourself throughout eternity but because that intensity is too much to handle you need these life experiences in order to like frame them correctly and then in and that life to make them intermittent because yeah. you can't get it all the time yeah. yeah like i don't i don't think we are um evolved enough not mm -hmm. enough mutations small mutations over time have occurred <laughs> yet for us to be able to exist in that state yeah. of conscious you know hyper awareness or uh un unconscious awareness all of the time and it's, I, yeah, it's, I think you go mad like i think it's like you know symptom of schizophrenia to some degree yeah yeah and, and it's so hard to like talk about and explain too because it's like it's like one of those things like language just doesn't do it, doesn't it justice it. like until you get to that point where you experience that like i, I might as well be talking to you about an alien species that like d exists thousands of years in the past. Like there's no, there's no context towards what we're talking about unless you actually get to the point where you feel that. How do you, how much do you think um, risk plays a role in the, in, in these sort of gateway t uh, to, to these experiences and <laughs> follow up question. Um, uh, as society these days trends radically away from um, comfort uh, with risk. Like, we don't want anybody there to be any risk of anything. So you, you we're going to boy in the bubble your ass. Like, you're going to stay mm -hmm. home. You're going to put a mask on. If we want to go pandemic, mm -hmm. we're yeah. going to, you know, don't go outside. Don't associate with, you know, people of a... Uh, of, of an uncertain character, you know, whatever it is, just like reduce the risk, reduce the risk, reduce the risk. I have a fucking car that like automatically puts the brakes on or, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, or, or shit like that. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, uh, is there no, and there's no switch to turn this shit off, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, in a meaningful way. Yeah. I can press buttons and stop the alarms from sounding on this particular drive, but it's going to reboot mm -hmm. as soon as I, and, and all of that I see is like this, this this trend away from um 
a, a means of avoiding risk, avoiding putting ourselves in situations that where that cause stress, that cause fear, that test us, that you know allow us to grow. Take that away, mm. and then you do end up, I think, with a bunch of batteries. So I just answered my own question. Yeah, you uh, did. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> I think that risk, when it comes to activities like we're talking about, you know, even if you're talking about it from a military standpoint. Risk is just vulnerability that you sign up for. Yes. Right? But so, also, so, you know, Logan, you signed up for that vulnerability yesterday. And so even though there was no, you know, yeah, there's some risk of physical harm. You could, you know, you could develop some plantar fasciitis or, <laughs> yeah. you know, or you <laughs> stub know, your toe, yeah. stub your toe or, you know, but there is this <laughs> social risk, not only that you, I mean, that it's, it's almost all self-imposed, you know, in a way of like, I'm, I set an objective that I want to reach and, um, and what if I fail? You know, there's this, the risk of not achieving that outcome. And then, um, and, and I have this sense over, you know, some years of it, um, exposure to it is that, that I think the social risk, if we place enough value on it is just as viable a mechanism, um, for self-confrontation than actual physical risk. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, so I, Go ahead. Well, I was going to, so I've been reading a fair amount of poison lately and, oh, um, Oh boy. <laughs> there, you, you have a quote in there and it's, uh, it does not matter the means or the method only that you do it with depth and depth to me is pursuing that hundred percent that like, and there is risk involved in that because you have to make sacrifices in order to get that hundred percent of depth yes. within what you're trying to do. And when you look at what it, risk doesn't have to be that you may die, like risk can come in all sorts of yeah. different means, types and methods. Right. But yes, I think you are 100% right in that there needs to be risk in order to get onto that other side of the veil in order to get like a true meaningful existence. Because when we cut out all that stuff out of our life, mostly through the means of technology and, you know, self-driving cars and stuff like mm -hmm. that, we mitigate all that risk and we become for closer and closer towards just being straight cyborgs that are a hundred percent reliant on this technology as a means and method in which to live. And it provides just enough life satisfaction to for keep you, you, you in the to system. To keep you in the system. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, all the, um, all the things that have to do with our society now are trying to kind of like limit attention Right, or like dis like capture attention. It's kind of the piece that I wrote a couple of weeks ago was kind of about that idea. How like we 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 know how uncomfortable attention is, so we try don't pay it to that. Like pay it to Netflix, pay it to your phone, pay it to Instagram. Um, give like that, and that really is your value as a human being. It's like the the thing that separates you from like other species is kind of like your conscious ability to direct your attention, right? Animals are kind of at the, most animals are at the behest of their environment. Uh, where's the danger? Where's the food? Where, like the basic necessities of life. Humans are much different, but we can coordinate and change our attention and direct our focus, which is why we have skyscrapers and iPhones, because we've like learned to modulate this attention to create, to be creatives. And so in society where that becomes kind of dangerous. Like when I, when I say in that like articles, like you get, you want people to pay attention so that they don't die, but mostly, you know, that they're, you know, too dumb for that. So you make self-driving cars and you make, 
you know, alarm bells that go off and you nerf the sidewalks or whatever you want. You get so ridiculous with it till people lose their ability because attention is a skill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what you're fostering when you're doing these like, you know that it doesn't have to be crazy because what you're recognizing is like, I need less and less of the crazy, more and more of the attention. And I can and less s- of the crazy to to compel me to pay attention. Yeah. I think this is where risk comes in, whether it is social, financial, mm-hmm. physical, um, is that there you, you understand there's a consequence to inaction or inattention. Mm-hmm. Um, but you we have to, I think, we almost need to be dragged kicking and screaming into these situations where there is risk just so we can maybe see, you know, have access to this wisdom, this knowledge, this awareness. Um, and, and the more of the, you know, the, the, the more that our lives transpire, you know, with these things, this, this disassociation where attention is not required Mm-hmm. Um, I think then the more risk, the more extreme the situation needs to be in order to, you know, snap us out of it um, and, and, and com- compel us to actually be present. And maybe that's physical activity. Maybe that's our maybe that's the hack. Hmm. You yeah, know, I mean, it's the, the right amount of pressure. And yeah, if in, you look it, at go back to, like, say, the 40s, right, when people they paid attention to their daily lives, like. Yeah they could go to the county fair and like ride the tilt-a-whirl and that was like fucking crazy. Yeah. Like no one gives a shit about that now, right? Yeah. Because they're no. so dissociated with everything. In fact, everything. If, if you put me on a fucking Ferris wheel, I would be pissed. I'd be like, God damn it. Like I have so much shit to do. Yeah. Or I'd be on the Ferris wheel and I'd be like checking my messages because yeah. I have so many emails to get through. Yeah. And it's not, a Ferris wheel is actually pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Like that's a crazy human adventure. Let's just, it's not like, out there, out there, but it's pretty fucking out there. Yeah, like yeah. if if you brought that to any other age or any civilization, they would be like, "What is this devil magic?" Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it just doesn't even it, right now. Like if you took a like a twenty one year old kid and we're like, "You want to ride the Ferris wheel?" Be like, it's fucking dumb. Yeah, fuck you. Can yeah. I just watch it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can yeah. I watch Can another watch kid ride some, the Ferris wheel? Watch someone is else somebody doing gonna it fall it? off of it? Because that would make me want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If there's some kind of disaster or some kind of you know some kind of turmoil or drama that happened, then the Ferris wheel is interesting. But the Ferris wheel itself is not. Even though, but that would be super fucking cool if one out of every hundred rides ended in death, right? <laughs> and you do, and you don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just yeah. a real it's like base jumping, but the Ferris wheel. Yeah, but it's the Ferris wheel. Yeah, yeah. Why y'all need that? Pair? just get on the ferris wheel man we got one that you know that's a roll of the dice every time you get up there it is exceptional to think like (laughs) only we're only separated by a couple of decades um between people that really can't pay attention and don't have to pay attention to anything and people were like that was a big feature of life was trying to figure out what to do with the mundane existence Mm -hmm. right like uh, before television is like a very good distinction point, you know, where, where you're like, what are you going to do at night? You talk to people, you have yeah. conversations, you like interact in a different manner. It, it comes down like even I always notice when you look at a building that was built in like 1850, mm-hmm. you go to New York City, like all every corner of it has a fucking sculpture on it. Every corner of it or every over every doorway there's like yeah. a really intricate carving oh, yeah you know yeah yeah and you look at a building that's built now it's just it's just a box you know because 
people don't have time to fucking do cool shit anymore. And it doesn't have to last as long and people aren't going to see it anyway. So this is the, uh, I literally just saw this, um, <laughs> this post, uh, <laughs> literally about the fascinating, um, kind of like the remarkable art that is inherent to Victorian architecture, which at the time that it was being made was not Victorian architecture. What it was, was a conglomeration of all the things that were known about classical style. And it was like, it was on its way to inventing a new thing. So if you look at like this style of architecture, and, and it starts with like, this is what a Victorian era uh, sewage dump looks like. Yeah. And it's like this fucking ornate, beautiful building that is like gold foiled on the edges. And it's like, Either they were doing something wrong or we have no fucking clue what is right because they nailed something by putting that much detail into a fundamental part of life. Like we need this thing. Why Why not make it look like a piece of art? Mm -hmm. like, so why, it's like why not a, express that? It's a septic tank that's above yeah. ground. And yeah. And it's like, looks like a beautiful looking, like it has like <laughs> mosaics and it has like, and you can't tell really where it comes from because it looks almost like, it almost looks like Arabic in nature and color and tone, but it has the streamline, uh, the ridges that is known to like Victorian columns. And it's like everything is filigreed. And you're like, this took thousands and thousands of man hours to produce mm -hmm. a sewage like site yeah. where they process human shit. Yeah. And you're like, and now we try to like hide everything and just like, well, everything is kind of. I don't know, superficial, but like it does. Yeah, it doesn't have any depth. That, like, I guess that's like that's a huge missing thing on almost everything that we do. You try to build a house these days, and we've been like, you're like, what the fuck? Like, all it's I can push on the walls. Like, this thing is not going to last fifty years, but they don't care because I'm not going to last another fifty years or whatever. Yeah. I got a <laughs> I got a question for you guys. Oh yes. shit! Oh, the tables have turned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for everybody, but, um, how, how important do you think it is in the human experience to, uh, have being an artist <laughs> as a part of, uh, your ethos in the human experience? Look at the gray haired dude. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want <laughs> everybody to answer. We want the was, I, I mean, I, like I, I've I've changed like my mind on this concept because my entire life I haven't considered myself artistic. Th no matter what, like I I don't know I just was never a good I was never a good painter I was never like a good sketch and that's by like our cultural definition that's the artistic kids do that I never played instruments I never played music I was um I don't I, I was like fascinated with like physical art like doing like motion like i was always doing backflips and you know that kind of stuff but that wasn't seen as art and so it took me almost my entire life to get to the point where like oh no okay like art is a process like it is the creative process it's about um whether you want to call it channeling or whatever it's about this intention to make something that doesn't exist yet whether that's a combination of things that already exist or it's something inherently non-existent and you have to imagine it and you're like oh that i guess that is what i do like i imagine something that i want and then i create it you're like oh shit humans are like miniature gods 
right? Like we're just not all powerful or all known. We're like all ignorant miniature gods, which which is kind of a. I'm putting that in my Instagram bio. <laughs> miniature, <laughs> miniature god. god. <laughs> just like a tiny little eight pound god. Middle I, name <laughs> ignorant. ignorant. <laughs> uh, and then I think once I like rationalized that, it like it gave my creation process more power because it it like solidified the fact that i deserve to make something out of this life and that is the art process like since i've discovered music and started playing that has really solidified in me uh, unapologetic take it like whatever i want to spend my time doing that's an act of art right like and, and if it's not it's not worth doing like if i can't make it beautiful then why the fuck would i do it and that it goes back to kind of like the Victorian thing. Like reading that was just like, yeah, of course. Like when I, when we paint something, when I did design to this podcast room, right? It was like, I don't want to sit in a fucking room. I want to like sit in something that kind of gets people to go, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> Why didn't you use better spray mounts on the acoustic tiles? Because stayed? it was toxic as fuck. So I was like, Literally, I would spray one and I would run out of the building. And that's why all the like acoustic tiles are falling off the wall. But <laughs> uh, That was more of a general question, you know, in life, I guess. I run away from toxicity. <laughs> or I immerse myself in it. Cause I, <laughs> or I am it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like, um, well, I think art is important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, growing up with the, that same, you know, touch on the same thing that Michael was, you know, there's a definition of art. It's the painter, it's the sculptor, it's, you know, it's whatever the classical definition of that is necessarily limiting. And if we just switch it to um, creative process as the definition, then it then it, it is accessible to everyone. It's necessary for everyone and everyone fucking does it in yeah. some way. And I think it's it's absolutely important to make because to make is to give and uh and and i also think that that there's this idea of that uh to to take something and render it more beautiful if only to your own eye ear taste whatever then um i don't see really any point of being around without that Hmm. so i think it is i think it's essential and I, th- and, and you know what we've been talking about related to uh, this, as to call a business, uh, but we'll just say that you know around this business is like, oh well maybe we need to do some more marketing. Oh, we need to do marketing. <laughs> just maybe start you just maybe start start, start the in process. order to have more financial resources so that we do have more freedom to create instead of thinking all the time like and, and i've been you know kind of noticing it lately is like oh there's a couple of projects that we can't get to because we're paying attention to some other you know keep the fucking wheels on type stuff and but then i asked myself well if if the the whole point you know is that there a a sweet spot of 
social and financial comfort and creativity, like the balance between those two things? Or if we do start, like I'm familiar with a company that, um, you know, had some rather extraordinary, if accidental, success. And it changed all of the people involved in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, th- I think there's like, a, if, you know, it's not that I'm afraid of marketing, but I would like to, I think we, at some point, we had a really good sweet spot and we were quite productive and creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that to go away. Like, I don't want that, that the attention that had been paid to making art or useful objects, artifacts, whatever, um, developing useful ideas, I would hate it if a significant amount of that energy was drawn off by the act of marketing and and still prevented that creative process from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but at least, it, you know, the but to be sitting in that situation where like, creation has already happened now to give in a more extreme way in a more broad way is a pretty good place to be sitting in. I feel like it's a not, it's a good, yes, I agree. But you Jericho, Jericho, how about, yeah, I had a really good answer for this like five minutes ago. I forgot. It. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think for me, this like, obviously art is important. It's like, it, it it's, it's a, it's a channel into somebody else's like, like you said, it's, it's how people give and depending on their talents. And then depending on also, there's just systems. There are systems in place in the world and there have been for thousands of years where you may be the best sculptor, painter, sketch artist, whatever, and no one will ever see it. But depending on how accessible you make your art, it can bring people a lot of, a lot of happiness. That's super important. But I think from, kind of a, a selfish for me selfishly lately or like in the last few years of my life I use art whether it's photography or drawing or or you know whatever um, medium you want to talk about it's a means for me to be the new guy again and I think that that keeps your keeps your brain healthy to always be the new guy in something and then also you know we I've talked a lot of today about vulnerability. It's, it's a way that it, it's something that forces you to be vulnerable. Like show your belly. You take, yeah, you take a picture and you show it to somebody. It's like, ugh. yeah, like you draw, you sketch something, you, you write a poem, you do whatever. And you show it to someone. It's like, that's forcing you to, to pull down all those, all those, uh, those blockers to like, what could be happiness. Right. So the more, vulnerable you are with people i think the the more happiness you can get yeah you can also fall on your face and get told you're a piece of shit but like it's being vulnerable is the the true path to to experiencing happiness answer your own question whatever that question was yeah yeah so i think it's i think it's absolutely vital like i and you know i hate this word artist right because when when we're growing up it, it's always attached to like you know first like fucking finger painting and and playing with putty in in a certain class and so it gets connotations added to it as we grow and it almost becomes like natural that we kind of move away from that because it seems childish 
to do those things as we get older or we look at like, Oh, artists are just weirdos and and they don't. But I, I think, you know, I, if I could just quick reframe our entire education structure, just be like, just creator, like just to create. And, And I think to be a creator is the most pure thing that we can do within the human experience is to is to just you just make something it can be anything or document something to to create an avenue and a medium in which this gets put out to the world and you're giving right and i think specifically when it comes to uh, you know i hear all the time like guys getting out of the military and they're like i don't know what to do you know the collegiate system is so convoluted and there's so many opinions about that. And, you know, everything's in a box already. When you get there, if you were to just take an endeavor and walk down the row of saying, I'm going to be a creator and I'm going, because you're not going to try and create something unless you're like putting a ton of personal passion into it. And when you start putting personal, personal passion into things, it sort of, it, it restructures your brain and intrinsically allows you to understand what you're super passionate about. And then you start to have self-awareness around what you want to do. And then it opens up all these other things, right? Like, and I say this, um, coming off the back, like that was a big part of my own story and how I ultimately ended up being sitting here is I tried to do that exact thing. I tried to integrate with into the collegiate system. And I was, I wasn't, I was like trying to do things because, Oh, you know, you can make money doing that or like, that seems cool. But I was negating the like passion side of things and the creator side of things. And, you know, after going down that, that dark rabbit hole ultimately led me to just straight writing and putting thoughts and words on paper and then that evolved into a creation of video and storytelling and storytelling through different mediums and that ultimately opened up to this wonderful life where all these other lessons can start coming down but i think that without that i think we're again moving towards further and further being cyborgs and forgetting what it's like to be a human do do you feel like and and something michael mentioned was you know just he was interested in physical art let's say do you feel like this thing and not yesterday but this uh jumping out of planes all around the planet um was this a form of art yeah i think were you creating something yeah you know and Mm -hmm. yeah i I think you could 100 percent say that because it was we created a documentation of an experience of this group of people who were trying to do this quote unquote extreme thing but when you peel back the veil on that the reasoning behind that was to make that veil thin to to have a human experience Mm -hmm. and and like when Aaron first told me what um was planned i was like man there's there's a lot of mechanical or sort of infrastructure required to have access to this experience but then so but but then it apparently it takes that to have that transcendent experience in you know a cloud that's 30 seconds thick Mm -hmm. at a hundred and whatever yeah miles an hour yeah yeah 
had you asked me beforehand if this was going to be art, I would have said no. It's it's a it's a stunt in order to get raise awareness for a cause. Um, but after having gone through it, not gone through it, but experienced it, the personal connections, the the things that I drew from it on a like a like a spiritual level, um, and then taking that. And as we're doing it and, and as we're unpacking it now in the post of realizing that this is like something that is really important and like sharing with people that you can experience things you didn't think you ever would again, right? Like I experienced bonds with these other guys that I did this with that I didn't think I would experience again. Yeah. I experienced these spiritual moments that I didn't think were possible in my like lucid mind. Right. So now it becomes the challenge in the post is how do we share it? Right. How do I explain this? Um, and it goes back. It's funny. I just kind of had a memory unlock of there was a point in time in Peru um, when I was kind of out of the pain cave and, I was thinking like how like I, I, I got a, a lot of a lot of messaging during my ceremonies that you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And there was one very vivid moment I was actually taking a piss. Um <laughs> where it came through that like a lot of times when we have these experience experiences, people say it's hard to explain. Can't ex- can't be explained. Can't 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 explain inexplicable fucking try man i had i had a very i had like a bing moment where it was like you can like perfect you have to at least try like so for us now the art for me is explaining it explaining the inexplicable telling the story of this thing that you can't really describe but at least maybe getting something out there that inspires other people especially other people from our communities to, to realize like dude like these things aren't over like you can keep plugging away you know I see I see people in my life like people I really fucking care about that have kind of just like been like eh, that was those were the glory days and I'm like fuck man that sucks don't yeah. think that way yeah so for me to kind of circle back the the art from it is telling the story and, and inspiring from that story I think you're up against an interesting dilemma in a way because, um, and one of you will have to explain in detail in a second, you know, but this idea of, you know, we're going to jump out of an airplane and land, you know, over seven continents and land on seven continents in seven days or whatever that, and it just seems like you said, oh, it's a stunt. And then if you handed over control of the documentary to somebody else, that's how it would be portrayed. You know, it'd be these thrill seekers, these former, you know, veterans or these veterans, excuse me, um, you know, trying to recover the intensity of the experiences they had in the past. And here they join together again over, you know, blah, blah, blah. And because, you know, they could probably think they could sell some shit on the back of that, but it is unuseful. Mm -hmm. Like, the 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 commerce of it you know uh, is far less interesting than what you just talked about and what you said and what you've alluded to in the conversation of like man i yeah i was hadn't slept for 4 days and then i was just inside this 
fucking completely almost silent, but not quite silent, but this ping pong ball that was just all of this sensation coming, you know, I have, I've, uh, uh, attuned myself or basically inoculated myself to all of the external physical sensations. And I'm only in this cloud experiencing myself right now. And these are the, then this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm learning and what I'm beginning to understand. It took a lot of, to get to this point, to have access to that, but that is the point. Mm-hmm. It is going to that depth. It is, you know, to, to being, uh, yeah, cutting your belly open in a way, mm-hmm. and just and, and being willing to, um, to, ex to go as far as it takes to have that kind of experience, and then, and, and telling that story, and then, not making that out of reach. Mm-hmm. Like what is the what is the mundane parallel, the mundane access, you know, yeah. point for yeah. someone that I don't need all of the the stuff around this um, th- th- that allowed this to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting, yeah, artistic challenge. No, it is. We're already sitting right there because as you know, we finished this thing. Everybody's like, oh, what's the next thing you're going to do? Like, oh, my God. We're, we're yeah. not even like, you know, a couple of days removed from this thing. And we're getting all these questions about like, oh, what's, well, the what's, next? The, what's the next thing? And How do you outdo it? And, and it you is nine continents in seven days. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, we'll we'll ju- jump from the moon. Um, so you need to do exactly that. And it's escaping just a little bit as far as like okay so how do we do this thing where we feel like we're piercing the veil in the quote unquote mundane because my brain is a little blank when it comes to like oh what what is a worthwhile physical event that is going to top this right and but what what is yeah. it in our i mean it's a, it gets to the human nature thing that we're not going to change but it's just like we are acquisitive. We want to acquire experiences and they have, in order for them to be meaningful, the, the next one has to be more right than the last one. This is like, it's it's such a weird automatic response to having, you know, done something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because I had the, I had the Ferris wheel and then I got the roller coaster and then I got the roller coaster that goes upside down through water. And then I got the thing that drops off a waterfall. So the, like the thrill is always, but have you done the thing where you sit in the chair on top of the building and it like (laughs) launches you into space is what it feels like, but then then it drops you, but then nothing anyway. I, I would say that that's actually really interesting. Like, how, I mean, the outdo, if each individual experience is individual, right? And what you bring back from that experience is different, right? Like, it's not like if you jump from higher or you jump more, you jump more frequently, or maybe you do it with like, you know, a different sponsor or something like, is the, like, it's going to be a different experience. No matter. You could do the same thing over again and it would be a different experience. Yeah. And I, and I think that's Jericho's and I's kind of challenge right now as we move forward into this is to like how how do we take this thing and how do we turn that into uh, a give uh, momentum type of thing to where it's like all right let's just be honest like you know we've we've been skydiving for a little bit now like the interest from the general public is not super high right and so our challenge now is how, how do we package this stuff up 
make it transcendent so anybody can find these things where you're kind of piercing the veil through the mundane and giving back so that we're taking this experience, wrapping it up into lessons and, and, you know, stuff that we can give to other people to potentially find and take back into their own lives. And, and then to do it in a way where like, go back to the quote where the means don't matter. Um, but the means do matter, you know, because each point of resistance, you know, if you're trying to present something to people that will sort of shock them out of their mundane existence or their routine existence, um, they w- there will every little thing um, becomes a point of resistance, you know, that, that, that they experience so they don't have to um, con- confront a lack of knowledge or they don't have to you know, say that I don't know, but I want to know, um, and that this is interesting. And because I think that like skydiving is one of those, any of the, you know, I think it goes back to this, uh, avoidance of risk, anything that, you know, presents, you know, some risk is a barrier between the, someone who doesn't do the activity and, and the lessons that could be learned by that activity. Um, or, or another activity that doesn't involve that risk. So if you put up, you know, oh, I, I'm not a climber, you know, I don't want to be a, I, I, I can't have access to those lessons, you know, or I can't understand that because it involved, you know, spearfishing or, you know, some a- activity. And so I think you have this challenge of like, this is the means that we used in order to have these experiences and learn these lessons, but they are also available to everybody yeah to, to to people who are looking for it i think that's the i maybe that's the hard part and th- this starts with like the human nature problem uh, the the societal problem i think that might be weighing a, a problem that you guys might be trying to figure out is like how do we package this and and make it a thing uh, and I think that's hard for us to conceptualize too, because when a lot of what we do, for lack of a better like terms, like we scream into a lot of caves, which is to say, there's a lot of expression that is not digested by other people. Like ninety mm-hmm. percent of what we do will never be seen or heard by another person, and that's like that's part of the practice. In I think the what we can do, and I would I would like be confident enough to say that what we offer when we do something like a symposium or an event is a one-off event it's not recorded it's not uh it's being consumed by whoever's in the room but it's not repeated like it is not a thing the only reason we're able to do that is because we lot we have a lot of practice expressing our art um in private and to nobody like Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking about it the other day because I was upstairs playing on this new didgeridoo that I got. This is fucking ridiculous. But <laughs> I'm trying to get one breath for an hour, one cycle for an hour. So that's like what I'm working on to get like this one cycle for an hour. And right now I can get it for like 20 something minutes, pretty close to. And there's what does the, that mean? An uninterrupted, uninterrupted flow so of breath in and uh, out. Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, yeah, a continuous cycle uninterrupted for an hour would so be the didgeridoo is making noise that whole time the whole time okay. i never break um contact with it so it's you're you're setting up a vibration basically and you're like continuing that vibration what's really strange is the only way you can really do it is through your attention 
the second somebody like walks into the room or you're like distracted, your breathing gets like really desperate and then your CO2 changes and you have to start off gassing and that makes it, you start losing the connection because you're having to like track your breath. Super interesting. You get like fairly panicky. Like it feels like you're panicking. You're like, uh, and you're trying to like get the right balance because that's what it, it's like just this balance of attention. And then if you get it long enough, after about 10 minutes, you reach this state that is like, I when no one's around and it, you're just like existing in in the vibration. You are the sound. You can feel it reverberating in your chest and your breathing pattern is, is like part of the, you're just like part of the piece of wood that you're playing. And you feel like, empty almost like it's like what you guys are talking about that void feeling comes from playing the didgeridoo which i think is really funny because it's the oldest instrument it's like sixty thousand years old but would you say like when you're in that void you almost feel like you're a part of something else oh for sure yeah i'm i'm i am i this sounds really weird but when i started playing the didgeridoo didgeridoo stuff started coming to me like I people started like and without people without it like it was not it sounds stupid but people started giving me books on like aboriginal traditions and I was like what the fuck is this and they're like here I just thought you'd like it it's a cool book and I'd be like what the fuck like, okay it's like somebody throwing a boomerang at you and you'd be like what the fuck man and you're like I thought you liked that stuff and you're like I do but don't throw a boomerang at me huh. it's like it's like <laughs> And so we started like, it just started like coming in into this tradition. What I realized is that for 40,000 years, um, this art of playing this instrument and all the things that come along with it were passed down, but nothing was ever recorded. Nothing was ever consumed except for the people that were around it. And that was important enough to survive millennia, hmm. right? Like it's, it's like, that's what I feel when I play it is that I'm partaking in this practice that is ultimately good for you but good for others too like when when you play it for another person besides aaron because she's a little bit sensitive did you she'll like vomit it's like it's like super powerful for her like (laughs) she has to like leave the room sometimes (laughs) maybe it's just how i play it but it's like it affects people deeply right like it's like it's like this earthly tone earthly drone tone that is like i don't know it sounds like the creation of the fucking universe to me when i play it the interesting thing is that I don't want to, I don't necessarily need to record it. I don't need to make anything from it. I can just, I can have that moment where you're like, here, I, I'm in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I set this arbitrary goal for an hour, but actually the more I think about that, the more fucking pointless that is. Cause it brings me back into, I'm doing this. I need as to a, accomplish. Yeah. It's a metric and it's advanced. It's making it harder. Cause I've done mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Can I do half an hour? It's the same thing with like the hacky sack. Like you saw me yesterday because I didn't want to run. So instead I got on the bike and in between I would try to do unbroken hacks, mm-hmm. right? So I got up to, uh, I was at 100. I was trying to get 100 unbroken. I hit 97 twice, right? <laughs> and I was disappointed. Why? Because I didn't get those last three. And you're like, no, it's fucking hilarious that I would waste my time doing something so arbitrary. And the fun in it was the fun in it, right? Mm-hmm. That is it's harder and harder for me to rationalize because everything we have to do has to have like a reason, right? Like I need to, we're in it now. Like, Oh God, we got to get this book out because you know, the business and we need now that the fiscal year has ended, we need to start doing all this stuff that's responsible fiduciary responsibility. And we shouldn't do the cookbook right now because we should wait because that's a passion project. And you're like, 
Man, this is really interrupting my buzz, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is really but it is, killing it, it. It's a fascinating, like, I, you just drew a parallel here with uh, something that, and I want to circle back to that human nature thing about, like, the, you know, hey, what's next, guys? And you're like, well, we're still doing the, th- <coughs> yeah. we're still in this yeah. one. There is not a next. We're still in this, mm-hmm. even though you know an observer's perception might be that the thing has ended Mm -hmm. you know but we're still in we can't we can't even assimilate we reason that we can't talk about it right now is because we haven't assimilated it yet we're still having this experience and i think part of the issue with with our business is that we finish a project you know i finished you know finished refuge and it was like all right you know right into the next thing and you forget about like oh there's this this thing that was actually, you know, it uh, had great value to me to make it. Mm-hmm. It could have great value to others to, you know, have their own experience with it. But we stopped talking about it. We're not going to print another <laughs> run of it, you know, because it's that's so 2019 or 18 or seven, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it was. And I, you know, you mentioned poison, and now we're like deliberating, like, are we going to do another printing of it? Because we're over it, man. Because because we're on to the, we're on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. And we still haven't experienced, finished experiencing the, this mm. thing, which, but there is some kind of pressure from the system, mm. the system that also involves human nature, to <clears throat> always be moving. Is yeah. <clears throat> that's an interesting thing of of like tribal culture and specifically for like warriors, and it's been talked about by people like, oh, like you know, ancient tribes didn't have PTSD and the like, war didn't bother them because they would come back <laughs> and they would have a ceremony yeah. and it would be flushed out and they would tell all their war stories and then it was, then it was, then it was over. Right. And mental health wise for just normal people. Now there's, there's no real like natural progression into the next thing. It's just like, keep always be closing, keep producing, keep producing, keep producing rather than like, Hey, let's acknowledge all this beautiful work you've done really let everybody experience it, let you feel appreciated for it, and then just go into another natural cycle. Mm. Once you go to the creative well and you take all, you know, you drain it, essentially. You pull up all the water out of this well. Um, If you allow yourself to stay in that experience, then you don't hate yourself for your lack of productive ability or yeah. your lack of creativity. Like I haven't written, I haven't written. Fuck, I mean, is it gone? Am I, yeah. and, you know, yeah. what if I can't do it again? Yeah. What if I did, what if, what if I shot my wad, you know, and there is no more. Because uh, maybe that is a side effect of that same thing that you're talking about of like the glory days. Like mm-hmm. we're always afraid that the best thing that we've done is behind us so we're constantly trying to make the new thing that becomes the next best thing yeah but it is all the thing and none of it really matters like it's it's really not important it's important that you keep creating and i don't think you can create organically um you can't create from the spot that matters if you are trying to do it Mm -hmm. like it like you can't it can't be forced and that's one of the things where like yeah it's frustrating because I need to get this done. I put a deadline on it. I told people I was going to do it. And you're like, but it's not ready. You're like, the creative process has not even begun, actually. And so you have to let a lot of the stuff that we do sometimes, it's just like, sorry, it's getting pushed. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we said a year we meant two or three you know like it just it gets done when it gets done because that being true to the creative process and knowing that you did the best that you could in the moment i think is important and then if you're going to create again i think you need to process this is what most people will continue to get wrong about psychedelic use especially like ceremonial psychedelic use is that the peak experience that you have under the influence of whatever substance that is a flyby of the place that you want to go but the place you want to go is the integrative process mm-hmm. right that's ta- it's like i i take it as like you know people used to say the psychedelics were taking the elevator and i don't think that's true i think the place that most people want to go is this elevated position that has good insight and good perspective which is what we would call mind expanding like my perception is greater which is to say that my attention is behind me and i can see a greater perspective around me that gives you insight and whatnot so we conceptualize that by like oh yeah building and you could walk that's like the if you sit and meditate every day you it's like taking the stairs and if you take lsd it's like an elevator and i go not really it's like a slingshot right you're like fly by it you see what's possible the integration is knowing at least that's the place you want to be so then you can start taking the stairs and it makes it worth it so we most people have these peak experiences thinking that the peak experiences are the thing but it's actually the integration that's the thing it's like i saw who i could be i saw what i was doing wrong i uh i, I realized the feeling that i want to have in my life now it's my job to actually go foster that. Mm-hmm. And I think once you make something, it's your job to foster the feeling and integrate what all of the things making it led to. And to also start having these other experiences that will lead to the next creation, mm-hmm. which has this undulating effect, right? And now when I look at it, it's like, well, duh. these waves, these up and down waves, these cycles are so profound that we base all of our physical training off of it. We base all of our seasons off of it. We base our living off of it. Light, day, night, you know, no food, food, sleep, no sleep. We start undulating these cycles because there's a reciprocal nature to all of it. It, it, it will come in cycles. And so you create, you don't create, you experience, and then you create, and then you experience, and then you give, and then you take. And it's like, everything is just kind of kind of wave. And if you're patient, it waves systematically, right? If, it, if you, I don't know, do justice to your creation, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like we're not, we should not be done processing poison. It's too much to actually process. In fact, the, integration from making that book probably hasn't even started yet mm-hmm. right and we just are fucking human and we're like what's the next thing oh we're gonna get my yeah. hands in where's yeah. the ferris fool where's the roller coaster mm-hmm. i want to go off the next jump yeah. yeah it was very much you said slingshot my the vision i immediately got was like sitting in a dark room with a flashlight yeah. and, and the psychedelic experience is like it's showing you all these things real mm-hmm. quick right and you get these paths to this other stuff that you didn't know existed yet yeah and then that afterward that's when you're like oh i gotta go look at that like i saw something on that wall over there that was unique and different and nothing i've ever seen before i need to go spend time with that thing and i would say that the creative process is just like how you just like explained it's like a flash a blip like uh like the only reason i've become so addicted to like playing instruments drums or whatever didgeridoo specifically is because in one moment i felt what was possible in a single tone right the tone hit and i went 
oh, that that's what I'm seeking for. And I can't hit it again. Like I can't do it consciously. I can't do it as an act of like, I want to hit this tone and I want it to feel like this. So the practice is like, I'm addicted to trying to manipulate that sound or, or and maybe it's like, that's how songs get made. You know, this harmonic comes in and it's an expression of a feeling and that person is good enough to hold that feeling or take you through a series of feelings um, and bring you back down and then they can do it at will. And that makes them a musician, an artist of some sort. And if, all you need to see is a flash on the wall and it's like, I, I can't, if I can make it once, I can do it twice. And if I can do it twice, I can do it three times. If I can do it three times, I can do it nine times. And if I can do it nine times, maybe I can do it, maybe I can hold it for a minute or something. Then you're like, it's a uh, potential, like seeing potential. And then going back to your mundane life, knowing that what your potential is, and then it changes your mundane life. Because now I'm waking up and, and it's for a reason and I'm eating for a purpose and I'm training because I realized my potential. I saw a flash of it and I want to like, I want to, I want to, the true artist like creates themselves, right? They see their potential and they manifest that they like change their life so that they create themselves. Yeah. Miniature little God. Yeah. Miniature that. <laughs> and, and I think thematically coming back to it is like, I, you know, I said the other day, I was like, I'm just, I kind of feel a little bored being back and then I like I really like I was like why did I say that what was the thing like is that true and obviously it's it's hard to do something like that and then come back to mm -hmm. mundane life and you know have the same sort of feelings but I think that lesson in and of itself is the most important lesson to reintegrate those types of feelings into the mundane I love the hacky sack thing because I, I'm such a big fan of that saying uh, the way you do anything is the way you do everything and like so if you are going to play hacky sack of course you're going to try and, and see how many you can hit in a row and you can apply that specific thing to anything else in your life and then all of a sudden the mundane thing of hitting the hacky sack over and over again becomes almost transcendent because all of these things have to be perfectly aligned which is exactly what that trip was in order to to provide you a sense of unmundaneness and mm. but then you're like wait i got the unmundaneness through the mundane you're like mind's blown and then here we go and we anything can become amazing how can you walk just like explain what the whole concept was behind it just like when you started how did it come about who who decided who to get who involved in like the whole seven jump series thing because i think it's like just fundamentally we, we've been skipping around it i think people mm -hmm. know because we've talked about it a little bit but uh so <clears throat> the triple seven was uh it's skydiving the seven continents as fast as possible so seven continents seven skydives seven days was the the goal going into it was seven days because the old record was like seven and a half months so like it oh. really didn't exist a bunch of guys and gals have have tried it over the years mm -hmm. and it just never got off the ground they didn't even they but, didn't even but there was a plan there was a plan okay. they yeah. they trained for it maybe they did jump or two but it, it never really took off the most kind of like relevant skydiving and continent record was a guy from the UK did six continents in like eight days. And that was in like 2014, 1994. Oh, okay. There was a four in there. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a thing that's very possible, but people all kind of 
thought it was impossible yeah, to, yeah. To, to break this thing. So a couple of guys, uh, Navy guys, one's Andy Stumpf, good friend of ours. Uh, he had other world records in like wingsuiting, mm-hmm. skydiving stuff, very experienced skydiver. Um, and a guy named Mike Sorelli, another Navy guy. They have a, uh, company entity called, uh, legacy expeditions, which mm-hmm. does skydives in cool places. So they skydived at Everest, mm-hmm. you know, and they wanted to take this on, um, this, this challenge, this world record. And in doing so, it's like, Hey, we could go break this world record and do that. But like, why? Mm-hmm. Right. So the reason I use the word stunt earlier is this is a way for us to do something extreme and kind of like attention grabbing mm-hmm. in order to bring awareness to a nonprofit called folds of honor, which provides scholarships to the children of killed or, or, uh, gravely wounded or not gravely. That would be killed, right? <laughs> killed or like seriously, seriously, seriously yeah. disabled. So, uh, the gold star kids, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We've had uh, two of them on here. We've talked about some of their experiences on here. I didn't yeah. know about it before that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's it was our way of just doing something extreme to to bring attention and awareness to this organization. Um, so the the scheme of maneuver of it um, was getting they they started the I think they started about eighteen months prior to execution of just. I mean, it's going to cost money. So yeah. getting getting sponsors um, and then starting just the logistical planning of it um, and building the team. Yeah. And then, I don't know, about six months out, once all the kind of sponsors had been laid on, built the team, then we started training, right? So Logan and I are by far the most junior skydivers in the group. Hmm. Most of them were, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of skydive guys. Yeah. We just, right before we left, we attained the license we needed to actually participate and jump in the places oh, we no were going. Shit. Yeah. Like by the hair on our chinny chin chin. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. So then brought the team together, did a couple of like train ups, training camps, whatever you want to call it with skydiving and, um, pretty much just canopy control the things that could like go wrong, go wrong. Yeah. Um, and then the scheme maneuver from there was just, uh, starting in Antarctica because that's the hard, that's like the hardest place to get to. Right. Yeah. So and and also it's the the way and Antarctica works and where we were um which is uh Union Glacier Camp, it's about 800 kilometers or miles inland, I can't remember. Um but it's basically the furthest inland point where you can land a heavy like land in Aleutian or 757 oh, right. because they have a blue ice runway, yeah. which just ice that has no air in it, I think. Um so that's that's where we went and there's only a rotator in and out of there every six days. So we flew in on the rotator. As soon as we had a weather window, we jumped, right? Just to get one in the can and make sure we got one. Yeah. But the plan was to jump like within hours of our plane landing to right. leave Antarctica to start that clock. Yeah. So again, when we talked about like everything went right, like it could not have gone more right in that the plane to come and pick us up, like got delayed a little bit which then pushed us into a better weather window. Yeah. And we pretty much jumped in Antarctica, our second jump. Yeah. Threw our parachutes and laundry bags. We didn't even repack them yet and got on that plane. Like I was still wearing my jump kit when I got on the plane to leave. Um, so that was Antarctica. And then Logan can go into the, some of the other ones. Yeah. And uh, again, like 
this stuff just kind of seemingly going right and right and right. And then the experience along the way. And, and then you start to get a different side of people as you go through this, um, who are, uh, attached to your cause and like really wanting to facilitate you, which is another, um, part of the creative process I think is momentum. Yeah. When you do like become vulnerable and you're like, I'm trying to do this thing. Like, what do you think? And then, you know, you do get that exposure and people are like, Oh no, I'm like, how can I help? How, how can I help that creative process? And then that for me, when we got to Chile right after, uh, going to Antarctica was, um, really seeing this exposure, like you're in a different continent, you're in a different country and we show up and these people are just so intrinsically like willing to help us and like be good humans. Mm -hmm. And like, we showed up to Santiago, which was like an hour, hour and a half flight from Punta Arenas where we were in Chile. And like, we get there and they like breakfast service are out and like, they're just the most nice humans. They're facilitating everything. It, it flowed smoothly. We did the jump. It was super fun jump. And then we land and they're like, do a giant barbecue for us and, oh, cool. and and then you do we did those first two jumps in like 17 hours i think mm -hmm. and, and that's really when it hit when it was like oh wait there may be something here because going into this jericho and i were both like i'm sorry like there's no way we're doing this in some days like we did we didn't we, we didn't <laughs> you think were it was, I was not a believer <laughs> i was not either and then and then again we get to miami we're on our way. We're driving to uh, the Miami drop zone, and we all get the alerts on our phone. Like, the FAA is shut down. Like, there was no, okay, it's going to be cleared up at X time, right? And so we're like, well, there it goes. And as we're getting ready, I think it was right before we did the Miami jump, we're on the phone, figure out a private jet to get over to Spain, and we ended up cutting a ton of time off in the process of jumping in Miami and then shooting over to Spain. I think we cut like almost seven hours off the total yeah. amount of time of trip oh, because of this, you know, perceived hindrance of the FAA shutting down. Um, and, and so we're three jumps in where we end up in Spain at like two and a half days. And we're now the mindset is just like, okay, uh, how do we keep this thing going? Like, it, it, you're like it trying not to think about it so you don't yeah. jinx yeah. it. Yeah. Very much so. And then we show up to Spain and it's just like clouds everywhere. And and at this point, I was still not a true believer. I was still a disbeliever. Yeah. And we're, we're on the way to the drop zone. And it's kind of getting up into, not mountains, but it's a little bit of terrain outside of Barcelona. And I'm looking up, I'm like, no fucking way. Look at that. Like, they're not, we're not jumping. Like, and we had a four hour window in Spain yeah. to get to leave the airport, drive an hour, get to the DZ jump, drive the hour back. We had four hours to do it. So there's like no flexibility in this whatsoever. Whoa. And if it would have been like just strictly up to me, like I would have been like, I don't I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. that's where this like group dynamic comes into things, everything, you know, where it's like you're with these guys who are super experienced. You know, you have those conversations beforehand and you're like, all right, maybe, maybe me alone. I'm not capable of like being fully comfortable with this, but through the mindset of the group and the power of the group as a whole, you're able to do things that you didn't think were previously possible. And know? then, and when you have those kinds of, 
individuals that have a lot of experience like that and um, they're able to cast this sort of psychological safety net in a way mm -hmm. um, to, to not only to keep things safe but then also to make things happen mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um, exactly which is yeah it's good yeah. to have some old guys around yeah yeah and the, the, <laughs> on that one and that 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 jump in particular it was like hey have you ever done this and then they're like yeah and then you're like, all right, well, fuck, first time for everything. I guess this is my first time. It yeah. is possible. Yeah. 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 Shit. And that's where, you know, the the thoughts that came through after that was really like, oh, so, you know, you, you get a lot of it in your life, but you do when you do things that you don't think that you're necessarily capable of going into it, um, it, it puts you into a different space and, and it transcends other types of things in your life. And, and there's also a couple of the experiences on this trip, like I said, they, they took me back to that, like being in combat and doing things. A lot of times stuff like that, like, Hey, we can't jump through clouds. Like, can we, or we don't think we're supposed to. Right. And there's like so many of those things, like our boss, Evan, one of the, one of his best stories is like, he was in Iraq on his first deployment and just drove his truck into the opposite lane of traffic and just started driving against the grain of tread. And he's like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right. So once you get to that place mm. in, in all these activities, like, yeah, I, I can do that. It's fucking not I'm gonna, that big a deal. It's I'm just Elon Musk the fuck out of this. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, Whoa, fuck. That's a big deal. Like, is it like I did it? It's fine. Other people do it all the time. Mm. So coming out of that one, which was that jump in, <clears throat> outside Barcelona was where, you know, that the other thing about like people, even me, like looking, I'm like, oh, I was just a week, but like spending six days in Antarctica before we started, mm -hmm. like really threw me out of fucking whack. It threw <laughs> all of us out of whack. Like, you know, the sun doesn't like go across the sky. It kind of like spins around your head. Yeah. yeah. It was just, when we left there, I was like, I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. It's like, like alien. It's like being on another planet. Yeah. And we had this, this guy is, uh, Jim, who was the guy who had the previous record. He was with us to oh, break yeah. his old tandem record. So he was being tandemed by a member of the team uh, named Nick Cush. So when we were leaving, and this he's he's an adventurer. He, he went to the bottom of the, what is it called, Marianas Trench? Yep. Oh, shit. He does shit, like crazy shit all the time. And this was his third or fourth trip to Antarctica. And he, like, before he came up, he was like, you know, we're all asking him questions about how it's going to be. He's like, you know how many times I've wanted to go to Antarctica? <laughs> it's like once. And this is how many times I've actually been. been. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a, it did. I mean, amazing fucking experience. Like, you know, so few people, less than yeah. 40 people have skydived in Antarctica. We learned when we were down there oh, no in shit. history. No kidding. Three of them died. So <laughs> it's like, I don't want to say it like oh, Antarctica sucks. Cause like, fuck, it was so great to be able to do that. Yeah. But dude, Antarctica sucks. Like, yeah. There's a reason there's nothing down there. There's like, there's no moss. There's no, no birds. There's no bugs. There's no fucking life where yeah. we were at it's least. Stark. Yeah. So that yeah. at the beginning sounds like home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No life I mean, yeah. anywhere. The reason yeah. I would go to high altitude in the mountains all the time is because there are no fucking people. And I never went to the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Lots of life in the jungle. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. For, and lots of stuff for, that wants to kill you. For me. Yeah. yeah. Um, things that. Yeah. Anyway, I. I had a, yeah, we shared a little bit about the Antarctic experience. I never got inland, but um, yeah, it's a really unusual feeling. It is. You, 
and you feel that you're down there. Like yeah. you can feel it. Like, ugh, I don't know Gravity if you feel is different or something. Yeah. There's just something about it. So even and though it's a little bit empowering to be in such a remote place yeah. because you're very much in awe that your life experience has, has brought you, you to this extremely remote and desolate and you know, that humans have figured this out, like, how, how, yeah. how to how to make life down there or, yeah. or to allow it to survive yeah. yeah yeah and it was really interesting because a lot of the other people were there um outside of the climbers and and the people trying to expedition to the south pole were primarily people that were with nasa or trying to do things in space yeah so if you were like oh this is so like the hu- best testing test, yeah. ground that you can get in order to like be successful uh years in the future on other planets and stuff like that like there was one girl i i couldn't i like tried to keep with her she was so excited about what she was telling me but i was just like i don't want to have this conversation with you but she was essentially (laughs) developing ai for a certain type of environmental instrument that would allow the ai to be able to communicate on they're doing a titan Mm -hmm. The trip to Titan, uh, Saturn's one of Saturn's moons, um, in like 2028. And she's like, yeah, you can totally like sponsor and be a part of this if you want. And like be integrated within the AI and everything. I'm like, it's really interesting what you're doing. I'm uh, going to go get some (laughs) wine from, it makes no difference if I listen to you or I play Halo. Like they're the same thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all a video game. And then, and what was funny about her is then at the end of it, she's like, I have to go place this like sensor thing blah blah blah. and i was like oh man this must be some legit it was just a kestrel yeah. with like a fucking little fucking yeah. like memory card on it shit. yeah i was like it's oh, sweet but <laughs> that being said there there are people like that was one of the really cool things about Antarctica. like you said is just the fucking weirdos down there like yeah. that are just like wow you everybody down there is really 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 fucking good at something that i was gonna say is like it maybe would just be cool because there's no rv camper kind of people down there yeah you know what i'm talking about no offense but also people that use rvs to camp with they're a certain type they only go where it's comfortable they only go where there's hookups yeah and so you like go to a place where you can't make it here motherfucker you're like sleeping in a weird tent I mean, there is some luxury down there, I will is say. Is it really? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. There's... Perceive, and maybe it's just a guy, a couple of guys who have spent a lot of time oh, yeah. downrange in, in austere conditions. But yeah. Like, this is a nice tent. Like, yeah, that's like, true. The, the, <laughs> meals, <laughs> the meals are like so nice. But yeah, we slept in tents like the whole time. Like two man tents. Yeah, it's like there's with... not a hotel, right? No. No, no. no, no it's no, just no. tents, but it, it was fucking pretty nice to be. Like I got a hot shower every day, so I was like, this Oh, this is, is nice. awesome. Yeah. Like, you kidding me? Yeah. So yeah, and then um, <laughs> like we did a bunch of we you guys um, we did a lot of training with you guys and built a curriculum on diet and exercise leading up to this thing and yeah I, I, I so I gotta say because Aaron uh, during this whole process I was like fuck yeah guys this is like I was just kind of blown away that you guys were doing it I also had no idea what the possibilities were or weren't. The fact that it hadn't done been done before I was like it's probably pretty fucking difficult. Yeah. I was thinking like. Man, you miss one plane or you miss one thing and it's all over with yeah, just based fine. off of the timeline. Aaron, for a, basically, I think since she thought your first jump was in Antarctica, mm-hmm. I think the first one you did, it was like from that point, 
when you started jumping, her heart rate on average for the week that you guys were gone was like 30 beats higher. Even yeah, she was, she was like significantly fucking she stressed was, out. She was like guys. our best support network. She would like, I'd be like, fucking bother oh. for dicks over here. And she'd be like, hey, what have you eaten today? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, uh, sure. she's all I want to do is drink orange juice. She's like, fuck off. Go eat something. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing good here to eat. Eat something shitty. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. She did not. She was just like, you need to hydrate. You need to like, she was talking to me about it and she'd be like, what do you think? Like, should they eat this? Should they do that? What's it? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I would probably be in your same state. I'd just be like, fuck it. Give me candy and I'll just sit in this coma. <laughs> yeah. Well, she also probably, I had to be like the fucking the food poisoning police in a couple of locations because oh, dudes i'm like they're like ordering. i'm like oh, no. what the fuck did you just order like oh i got a salad it's hell i'm like we're in motherfucking egypt yeah. bro yeah. you're gonna get fucking machine gun ass if you eat yeah. greens here bro machine <laughs> <gun>. <laughs> yeah, dude. so i was like even uh, if they wash it with you know yeah. iodine water no. yeah uh, it was still fertilized with human feces so. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> so like uh, logan and i were kind of the the like unofficial fucking uh, nutritionists on the trip, yeah. but all we were doing is dumping regurgitating. on everybody. <laughs> no, we were just regurgitating the shit that Aaron was telling us through oh, DMs. Yeah, but it perfect. worked. Like I, you know, like I was strict with like the electrolytes. I didn't know how much of a huge difference that made. No, oh, yeah. Uh, well, the salt electrolytes specifically, but yeah. like doing doing one of those to start and end the day made a huge difference. Yeah. Start and end the day, like there was a start and a stop. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whole process. Just, <laughs> but um, for me. Egypt was really uh, the physical and emotional climax of this thing. And when I say that, as soon as we got into Cairo, it was like everything became harder. Dealing with the people took longer. And it was like it's when the process of getting to the thing that we're trying to do became very much a pain in the ass in every way, shape and form. Is that 20 percent? Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, we we the jump over the pyramids was awe inspiring. Oh, dude, the video from it and the pictures that we've seen from it are fucking insane. You're, I remember just, I, I, there wasn't a jump where I was just so much like, Holy fuck. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm doing things in the air under canopy. I'm like, Oh my God, I have to like go directly over the top of the grand pyramid. And I'm looking down at the top of the pyramid in between my feet. And I'm just like, very conscious in the moment of like how am i ever gonna fucking top this thing you know <laughs> and i remember landing because there's this giant ledge right next to the grand pyramid that's like 100 feet down because it's the urban sprawl is like right up to the pyramids now and there's this shitty ass golf course right next to the pyramids and that's where we landed it's all mulligans but there's like there's all these crazy winds swirling around there too that you got to be very conscious of with the ledge and the pyramids and then all this urban sprawl coming through so the the winds were like very much like keeping you in the moment as to what you were trying to do and i think everybody kind of felt that way because we landed like i didn't hear as many whoops and hollers and like holy shits as i did when we landed in in egypt and it was the true, like, I think everybody after that one was very much in the, in the mindset of the amazingness of, of what we were doing within that. And then, and so then that you, was number five. That was number five. Okay. And then I think you really started to see, um, the decline in, you know, physically after sleeping on planes yeah. for that long, like the, your emotional, stability and like how we would get along seriously 
started to go down after that and Abu Dhabi was a complete shit show and I remember do you think it was because Abu Dhabi is a shit show or because it's a like a big combination of mm-hmm. your your state? Yeah, it, w- it was a big combination okay. of, of everything. Um, just s- such a weird place in yeah. general, you know. Um, but us, we were trying to do some things that didn't make any sense for the trip as far as where we we're going to land. And we were all so tired during that, that period. And that was the only time I was like, I'm not I'm not 100 percent. And like a little bit of doubt started to creep in the mind as far as capabilities go and making Uh. sure that you're sharp on stuff. And it was also, um, I don't know if he probably won't listen to this, but, um, uh, Jim, the tandem passenger, uh, he actually got a hernia when we were in and out and the, for whatever reason, the tandem rig started, uh, opening really hard throughout that. So like, in the midst of this, we finished the fifth jump and I go on the bus after we're like recording our dispatch and he's like in the back and look by the dock and like, I'm like, hmm, don't got too bad. It's not too yeah, bad. So yeah. it, it like brought us out of everything. Yeah, it did that in Logan's right. Abu Dhabi is where people like they, there was a huge dump from Cairo cause it was so fucking cool, <laughs> yeah. but it, it did remind me of it sounds fucking super cheesy, but it reminded me of Ranger School in that different people are going to be operating at different levels. Yeah. You know, when you when sleep sleep deprivation becomes a thing. And, yeah. like, you saw certain people, like, at certain points in time from that point in the trip on to where somebody be like, you know, hey, you're supposed to be making this call right now, but, oh, you're fucking worthless. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. And it was, it was fun to watch that dynamic take hold. And it was also cool to see it happening a bunch amongst a bunch of guys who were like you know you go to ranger school you're 20 i was 19 you know so i'm i don't know how to control my emotions so (laughs) like my when i was strong in that environment i was like all right i'm gonna fucking scream and yell and call people motherfuckers but like now like you had all these you know eight of us and we're all adults you know and like a lot of life experience and watching the group navigate these things as mature adults was fucking pretty cool yeah. like seeing that that same process happen but with people who know how to fucking use their <laughs> words their yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's pretty cool that's actually but cool. yeah like abu dhabi was just like we were all so over it like we usually would be like oh here's the jump you know the plan yeah. for the jump and uh andy i think had kind of taken charge he's like let's have a shitty exit contest whoever can have the fucking dumbest looking shittiest exit wins so there's like i just like fell out of the plane just like fucking tumbled like a dead body yeah a a good marker for this was i got left at the hotel that morning yeah yeah logan got left i was taking a shit yeah logan got left at breakfast that day and we were about guys i took like a five minute shit i wasn't gone that long and i was like okay like then i'd like truly understood where we were at as a group mentally with everything yeah and that was i mean those little skills that you learn. One eighth of the team's missing. Yeah. <laughs> Seems significant. Maybe someone Nobody should notice. noticed. Yeah. Those little like sleep deprivation skills that you learn or I've learned of like, we used to dummy cord shit like, oh, we're going to be in the fucking sticks for this long. We're going to dummy cord shit because you'll just leave something important. Like it's not yeah, your fault, yeah. you know? So like, I think it was after Egypt when I was like, hey, 
everywhere we go, like <laughs> phone, <laughs> wallet, passport, everywhere. Phone, wallet, passport, parachute became a thing. Tie a cord to Logan. <laughs> yeah. And then after like, it's like phone, wallet, passport, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> so but, Abu Dhabi makes the sixth jump? Sixth jump, yeah. Yep. And then you have to go to Mongolia or what do you? Australia. Australia. Perth. Australia. Oh, yeah. Perth was the last. Abu Dhabi's the Asian. Is the is the Asian? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, which doesn't seem very Asian yeah. until you go there and see all the slave labor by Asians. Okay. Sorry yeah. if I offended <laughs> yeah. anybody. No, it's, it's pretty true. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, but yeah. also true. Yeah, yeah. Asia I, is the weirdest continent for us as Americans, I think, to exist in. But, yeah, super weird. Um, so I remember we did a we did a ton of jumping leading up to this thing, and uh, we were I remember being down in Arizona at Eloy with Jericho, and you know you're very we're pretty risk adverse, newer jumpers, and you know the drop zone down there is it's really fat flat for a long time. Like there's some mountain ranges way in the distance, but there there's not a ton going around there, and so when the winds pick up there. It's kind of doubly, doubly, is that a word? Doubly uh, dangerous as far as like high jumping in high winds, but there's also this risk of uh, sandstorm or dust devils, dust devils, um, which are very detrimental towards a person under a parachute. And we didn't need to jump. It was towards the end of the day is typically when that starts picking up a little bit. And Jericho, it was like. Uh, it's like 18, 18 knots winds, which is, you know, it, it's a lot to be jumping in. And Jericho was like, I really don't want to do this jump. And I was like, cool, man, don't do anything you're not comfortable with. And, but, you know, as you're sitting there with a group of people, like people are like, oh, are you going? Yeah, I'll go. Are you going? Or yeah, whatever. And then I remember looking at you. And I was like, do you think that we'll ever be in a circumstance when we're going to have to jump and pretty high winds on this trip and you're like oh yeah and then we ended up doing the jump in Eloy and it was fine um but then we get to Australia and Perth in general is just like wind city it's mm. it's coastal just pretty ripping all the time i think after we finished the jump there's like 40 mile an hour winds like in the city afterward and mm. so we get there and I didn't sense it too much when we were there in in the moment is how much of a race against the clock we were up against um, until like after we landed and this the winds blew in this cloud layer right afterward and we probably just they probably would have just shut us down because they weren't quite as loose as the Spanish people were but we're <laughs> we're in the plane in Australia the plan the plan was to go up to fourteen thousand yeah, feet 14, right. 15, yeah. And as we're going up there, this the this older gentleman who had like previously run this drop zone in Australia like jumps in the bird with us, and we like we didn't meet him before. We had like no no idea who this guy was, but he immediately starts taking control of the plane, and he starts having the pilot like not do big climbing loops, like mm -hmm. staying really close towards the the landing area. And I remember they started like handing this clipboard back that was like, Hey, we got wind updates coming. And I look at it and I'm looking at like the, 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 they had the numbers that it was when we took off and then what it was now. 
And I'm looking, I'm like, is there, do you guys do math different? Because <laughs> this is saying 29. And I think it was 25 system. gusting to 35. And I was like, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be that. If, it, if they are doing kilometers, it's, it's like, that's pretty close to miles. And I'm like, that's fucking 30 miles an hour, man. I'm like, <laughs> all right. And it's funny when you're in the air on that, like, we land here and it's done. And everybody was like, I don't fucking care. Just get me out of this fucking plane. We're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was 25 gusting to 35. And initially that guy getting on the plane, I was like, fuck, this guy is like a naysayer. He's going to be like, no, the winds are too high. But he actually ended up being a fucking huge, like he saved it because he knew that, that drop zone, he knew that landing area. And he looked and he saw clouds like just humming towards the, the landing area. And he went up to the pilot. He's like, Hey, get on a jump run at like, I think it was like 10, five. Yeah. Get on a jump run. He opened the door. It was like, I was like, Oh fuck, we're jumping. Okay, cool. And, uh, yeah. And went out and then, and I remember thinking like, like Logan, I was like, I don't care if I break both my legs on this one. It's fucking, I'll be as soon as I hit earth, as soon as I exit this aircraft, I broke a world record. So like fucking let's send it. Let's go. And you would have liked to have that last jump, like, oh, we all land in the yeah, same yeah. area, and we get to high-five. I'm like, we were fucking everywhere. everywhere I'm sure. Yeah. Two guys <laughs> landed in trees. Yeah. Like, I barely made it into the clearing. Jericho was I got landed dragged. good, but was just, like, way far away. And I got dragged pretty far, too. But yeah. that's, like, it was between what it was, because you do your, your checks at, like, 1,500 feet. Like, okay, which ways are the winds? Yeah. We got down completely different direction, way stronger. Oh, crisscross. Yeah. Way awkward. Walker. And, uh, yeah, you know, you're just like, th- there's that feeling that I got right after we landed there um, that I was like, whoa, shit, that, that clock was ticking real fast. And had we not had that, like, gusto to just get our asses out of the plane, yeah, it, it would have been another day, another two days. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, what the fuck? That is a gnarly expedition. A Jeez. true expedition. It really cool. is. Yeah, it's like that was an adventure. Yeah, it was. I was yeah. like, I I mean, I watched it happen. I was like, stay in tuned. And the whole time it was just like, these guys are fucking out of their mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's fucking, it's really cool that you guys got to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to like, you know, we got a lot of stuff to wrap up within. Sure. Yeah. What, what came out of that but, yeah. yeah cause you haven't released really anything on it right like not not post yeah like we're we're working on a couple of videos right now um there is gonna be a larger document we had a film crew with us yeah. um I think it's gonna it's gonna take at least a year for those guys to get something out mm-hmm. that makes sense and we'll we'll see thematically how that goes but the the guys working on that the director was one of the producers on Blair Witch Project He's the director. Oh, really? Yeah. He's the director. Yeah. He's like, here, uh, on this next uh, jump, I want you to take this camera, and before you go to the planet, just scream wildly and then run out the front. Yeah. And then disappear. And then disappear. <laughs> <laughs> With a really runny nose. <laughs> Shake at the camera a little bit while you do it. It'd be pretty good. Yeah, so you're like, I mean, you guys are in a phase where you're just kind of like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it is... Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's letting myself do justice to what we just did. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in like, Oh, we got to get something out. We got to like talk about it. We got to, you know, and what's next, all that stuff. It's for me is like, 
dude, that's a big fucking deal. Like, yeah. you know, like not letting that kind of toxic humility creep mm-hmm. into my life right yeah. now and being like, no, dude, you just did something fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah. Stop trying to do more shit. Right don't now. belittle what yeah. you did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't lose th- that in the quest for something more, something, you know, to top or, you know, the what next, what now thing. I mean, it's, it's, Cause then, I mean, if you end up chasing something slightly more elusive than what you just experienced, then it, it, it ultimately transforms what you, like you'd need the time. I think you're right to Mm -hmm. sit there with it and, and especially in sit in neutrality with Mm -hmm. it of, you know, not pure humility, but also not the hubris of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think as you know, we get these questions about what are you doing next? I think, and we start getting into like a little bit of an esoteric conversation here, but the doing the, the thing for the right reasons, you know, it, it totally felt like we were able to accomplish this thing because we were doing it for the right reasons. And it did create this vibration where you were able to get positivity from everybody you interacted with to help this thing along. And I think the big lesson moving forward and trying to do something else is like making sure that that stuff is in place the next time you try and do something. So it isn't for hubris. It's not for ego. We're making sure that that right reason thing is first and foremost in our mind, as opposed to like the most you know, biggest stunt that we can think of, get rid of that, get rid of the hubris, go back to what, what's going to make the biggest impact for the collective and get the most amount of positivity funneled into that. Yeah. You're not trying to treat these projects like, uh, like a fast and furious installment, right? Like we've got to have more explosions. We've got to have more cars blow up. We're going to have Vin Diesel and the rock. Oh, and now Jason Momoa. (laughs) It's like like nonstop. And I think like that, that's the nature that kills a good vibe. Honestly, is like this idea that it has to be bigger and better. It just has to be different Mm -hmm. to be useful. You know, that's crazy. That's fucking man. That's wild. I, yeah. I don't want to jump out of planes. Not a lot of people do. We found out. <laughs> I mean, I, would, I mean, I would, like, I haven't been, I've never been, and I would go for sure. I think it's like something that you should probably do at some point in your life. But yeah, for me, I, <clears throat> I jumped in the military, but I only did static line, which is a whole different animal yeah. from skydiving. And I hated it. I absolutely fucking hated it. The only thing that kept me skydiving was that like, what the, the the shame I didn't want to quit yeah. like I would have felt like a bitch um, but then eventually once my skills had caught up to like you know once my bandwidth with the skills caught up to like kind of my fear of it mm-hmm. and I could not think about how scared I was but like think more about the skills because I, I actually kind of knew what I was doing a little bit um, that's when I first realized that and it sounds so fucking cliche, but doing, doing this activity skydiving was the only time in my life when I experienced presence, like that was it. And after that clicked, I kind of became addicted to it. Yeah. Not like, Oh man, I want that adrenaline. I'm a fucking adrenaline junkie. It was like, I loved the, 
the the feeling that I had when I hit the ground when for the last what like fuck it four and a half minutes I didn't think about shit except what I was doing. That's really interesting because I think that is a big misconception. I don't think I, being an adrenaline junkie is actually really rare because a it doesn't people can't outlive it. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it's you don't outlive it. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. If that if what you're seeking is like the rush, then there's nothing else there. But I think most people are actually seeking the presence. Like mm-hmm. um, this is a really bad example. Who's the who's the free climber who died? Um, who's big into slacklining? Um, Dean uh, Dean Potter. Dean Potter. Yeah. yeah, he talked about this all the time. Is about like yeah, I'm not trying to have a thrill. I'm trying to. I'm trying to just be in the moment. I'm trying to touch what, you know, touch the void, that mm-hmm. like empty spot of just being totally aware. Funny enough, whenever a plane is landing, it's there. Mm-hmm. Like when the plane lands, you go, well, I don't know if it's going to make it. And my, I like immediately drop into a, like a weird state until the wheels hit. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird, like emptiness. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's like, it's a fraction of it. Yeah. It's probably a little bit more pronounced on a slack line or something yeah. or yeah. free climbing. I don't like being scared at all. Like, I'm not going to yeah. hunt that out. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, <laughs> who does really? Yeah. Right? Like, is there anybody who, like, actually likes being scared? And I, the thrill of, like, a horror movie, maybe, or like, like, they like the, the thing of jumping, but I don't, yeah, fear is, man, fear is fucking terrifying. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks. Yeah. 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 It's fucking and, crazy. Yeah, I was never, it, it was never about the whole adrenaline yeah. junkie thing it was i think it's more the opposite of it it's about finding peace in this you know heightened awareness state and the preparation that goes along into it um i don't think i've done anything else that like not that i'm like a big piece of shit or whatever Mm -hmm. but like the amount that you need to feel like your life is in order when, when this, when this activity becomes a hobby, right? Because like it, it is the strongest memento mori that I think you can mm-hmm. participate in because every single time you do this activity, you're essentially starting the death process mm-hmm. and you have to do a couple things to make sure you don't die. And to find peace in that state is to me something completely removed from what we like perceive as an adrenaline fueled activity. It's, yeah. it, it's actually the opposite of that yeah i mean the bit the like the most rigorous traditions for um enlightenment they all they all kind of like when you get into the, like the depths of it you know the, the the americanized standard of meditation is like i don't know getting a latte after you a goat sits on your head in yoga or whatever the fuck but <laughs> true traditions for meditation are like different styles of meditation and your morning meditation is usually revolved about your thoughts around death preparing for it like focusing on it trying to imagine how you would like it to go how how like and not like i wanted to go good and not feel anything like no what are the sensations of letting go and passing and like imagining the veil lifting and trying that, that's like a that's like an hour-long practice a day of just sitting in that feeling of that's the death mantra um, there's there's some chants that go along with it that are some of the most beautiful mantras you've heard they'd like they're evocative for sure. You hear them and you know that it's not normal. You know, it's not just like right. church choir kind of deal. So you're like, I, I think that process about like, oh, I'm preparing for death. You're like, the best thinkers in the world do that almost every day if they can. You know, and they have, they have 
maybe the easiest time letting go. Even Aaron said this the other day. She's like, I finally figured out what I'm afraid of with death. And I was like, okay, like the death part. (laughs) She's like, no, I'm afraid actually I won't be able to pass over. And and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Also, you mean you're afraid that you would keep on living? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the joke is kind of like no, there there is this. Le- I think we've seen it in people. If you've ever like, you know, joined people uh, or like witnessed their death process, there is definitely this very difficult part of detaching from whatever this existence is and then passing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to let go. You're like, and when you think about it, like. Uh, there's a really great story in um, Eckhart Tolle's book um, that he, he's like helping this lady deal with her uh, terminal uh, cancer. And uh, she's in a home. She's being taken care of. And it's ending. And she's, he's like a fucking guru. So he comes in and listens to her. And uh, she's really upset one day. And he's like, tell me what happened. He's like, my fucking maid stole my wedding ring. And he's like, well, tell me about it. And she's like, yeah, just that was the last thing my husband gave to me before he died. And now it's the last thing that I own. That's of any value. He's like, interesting. Like, do you think you can take that with you in a couple days when you die? Yeah. (laughs) And it was just like, Oh shit. Like we cling to everything material to try to stay planted. And the idea isn't that like, you shouldn't think that things are valuable. The idea is that attachment is like, it's going to hold you back Mm -hmm. right from pro from change, from process, from transition, from, uh, I would hate to say evolution or progression because that's a bad word. So I'll stay away from it. But (laughs) something like this, yeah, like everything is changing all the time. The fact that we think that it's not is the illusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, mm-hmm. that can stop you. So I think that's it. I think in that respect, I, man, skydiving sounds awesome as a process. I'll add the hallucinogenic psychedelic stuff as a add on to that, too, since we've kind of been flowing between those two things a little bit. But like I 100 percent truly believe that i've like experienced the death process Mm -hmm. through doing these things and we have all these connotations towards what that's going to be like and it's going to be awful and yada yada but you go through and you're like this is like one of the most peaceful things i've ever done man like not that you can't wait to die no but this like awareness around the fact that it's probably going to be like very calming and almost like peaceful reconnected as opposed to being ripped away i think the idea is that birth is way harder than death like coming into existence is rough man because Mm -hmm. you're collapsing all of pure conscious experience down into a narrow vision or tunnel or like just sense perception the exiting process is like an awakening process from traditions that would talk about it i think that's like a really interesting way to look at it and i used to be the the opposite used to be like no ends people are so fucking stupid like everything is just over the universe is meaningless and all that stuff really helps you stay angry Mm -hmm. and it really like it like sets a fire in you where you're like well like in some cases it's probably pretty helpful for young men to think kind of cynically and nihilistically because then they get after it Mm -hmm. they're like no i only have this and therefore, when it's over, it's over. So it's like a type of jet fuel. But then you watch so many people die and you watch the process and you just, you kind of, uh, for me at least, like you go, <laughs> man, I'm an idiot. Like, yeah. Of course it's not. Of course, 
of course there's something after because there was something before and we know that the universe is run by infinite complexity and infinite you know structures so you're like there's just a different type of infinite that i don't understand and i was before some before i was this i was something and after it goes without any logical training that you're going to be something else you just it's hard to rationalize and it really doesn't matter yeah as long as you tithe and pay you can get in <laughs> yeah hell mary like, or whatever the fucking thing that i'm missing from that whole process is I, and that's that's probably one of my that, that's one of my gripes is that there is something so true in most religious teachings and it gets lost for desire for power or control over human beings which is like the exact opposite of all of these notions like the 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 spiritual path is one for freedom for like freedom mm -hmm. to and from and to exist and kind of the thing that set, well it, yeah it's just the feeling of being human that your existence that is what you're supposed to experience and other people getting involved into it fucking ruins it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. it's fucking crazy well that was almost three hours yeah Huh. You got any other wise words for us, Papa Just T? that I think um, I read a headline the other day that um, I think that whole uh, issue with the commercialization of religion or, you know, uh, it becoming a, a power hierarchy. I think, uh, I think it's the Church of England. They got that figured out. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to, they're, they're discussing whether or not to make whichever god that they have in mm. that organization uh gender neutral ah i mean it makes the most sense <laughs> <laughs> when, when it really comes See, down to it that's gonna solve everything i, th I th probably I, will right? i think it will i Is can i just god's say i'm gonna be pat <laughs> <laughs> It's not much different than jaw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, can I just say that like re breaking religious news is pretty fucking boring. <laughs> You're like this just out. The Pope has apologized for the Salem witch trials. You're like that would have fucking helped a long time ago. Asshole. Yeah, like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so what's. The Inquisition is next. You're going to take some responsibility and be a little bit contrite about that, or what's, what's still, going on there? Still, we still need to burn some people, so that's still yeah. on the table. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we sh somebody needs to stay up all night tending the fire, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, hey, look at that circle. Bookend. Full nice. Circle. Fuck, we need a left-handed redhead. Exactly. <laughs> Just left-handed. Are you left-handed? Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I know we're trying to wrap up, but earlier yeah. when Logan said the quote of how whatever you do one way is how you do everything, yeah. I was like, it's such a fucking generator thing to say because it's <laughs> total fucking bullshit in my world. <laughs> how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. not true at all. Dude, I, two projectors, two generators. I see you. Yeah. These guys, they it's don't good give balance a, across the board. Yeah. They don't I have a, a fucking fuck messy mess. room, but my kit's immaculate. Like, so no, that's not true. It's fair. Yeah, it's totally fair, actually. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, sharing some of the story. Well, we're going to have to. And Do also for else. not making a big deal out of this fucking big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty cool, part. actually. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, yeah, whatever you guys get into, uh, where can people find you if they want to know 
I don't know if they want to see some of the videos of what we're talking about, I think would be the best way. Where can they find you on? Yeah. Uh, just first name, last name, Logan Stark on, um, most of the social medias. And then we'll be putting out a decent amount of stuff on black rifle coffees channel oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram handles laid back berserker. <laughs> and that's the only, the only place I am. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I always wondered who had laid back Judy, it's one of my favorite feeds, to be honest, is to yeah. just go, like, Jericho's feed is fucking phenomenal, especially his, like, commentary, like, Jericho's observations for Jericho the day. Stuff. Yeah. Jericho stuff. Jericho yeah. stuff. They're pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, one of them, he drove Aaron crazy. Like, absolutely bananas. Which one was that? The fish and chips. Cow- no, cowboys are the new operators. Oh, for sure. Yeah, ranchers are the new operators. Ranchers are the new operators. It's yeah. just like, wait, what are you saying? And I was like, no, you're not. She doesn't get it. She really, <laughs> to this day, does not understand what you were saying. Yeah. It was like, and so she's like, well, what if I was, what if I was an operator and become a ranch? What if I was a rancher before and then I became an operator and then I became a, a rancher after? <laughs> she's like, would I still be the thing? And I was like, do you know what you should do is you should harbor this resentment for that comment and then next Halloween dress up as a operator rancher yeah, just yeah, for sure. Jericho. That's a good idea. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much.